What's up, guys? Back for another episode of Clan Kateri Takes on the World. Got a super, super special guest today. We got Thomas Tanova Horisic. Um, so Tommy and I, this might be outside of my parents. <laughs> this might be <laughs> this might be someone I've known the longest. Uh, you know, maybe in my life, let alone definitely having on the podcast. Um, yeah, man. Yeah. Tommy, uh, so we hung out when we were kids, um, you know, high school. I remember we, or even middle school, I remember we were uh, running around Shanapin and, you know, messing around in fox dens and shooting, uh, oh, yes. shooting birds with a BB gun or the slingshot. The best. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and man, so that's really where the, the story starts because after that, you, Tommy kind of, created this whole like music and dj thing um before hell i even knew edm was a thing he really got into the the scene you know i'm not gonna i, I just want to give a general overview got into the scene sure and um of course i'd love to hear how you're you would know want to describe it but as life will take him it takes him overseas at a certain point with his djing and then uh you know his path kind of took him into starting a business um so before we get into all that uh What's up, Tom? Thanks for coming on. Uh, I guess I know you. Absolutely. Tommy, but... Thank you for having me. <laughs> well, some things never change. We can we can we can keep that. I, uh, it's cute, right? Uh, <laughs> no, we're <growing laughs> up now. I should call you Thomas, right? Or Tanova. Uh, Tom, call me Tom, please. Tom. Um, Thomas is just like my my formal thing, and then everybody who knew me when I was a kid calls me Tommy, and my parents call me that. But you know, I still respond to it. I still, uh, I appreciate the nostalgia. So what can I say? It has a little bit of euphoria actually, to it. Yeah. It's, it's nice to hear someone say that it's been like, it's been such a long time since I've actually heard someone address me as that. Cause even like when I'm around my parents, like my grandmother maybe, but no, that was actually, uh, that was cool. So yeah, whichever you prefer, of course you, uh, you get that privileges. We've known each other for probably, I don't know, 20 something years at this point 2022 20, i'd say something like that all right we'll we'll see how it yeah. flows i guess it still kind of feels cool. right to me yeah yeah def because your your parents like when did you guys move to that neighborhood because i think i was there from like three or four and then i mean i remember hanging out with you guys for like a, like really early on i mean like middle school i think it was like elementary school um but like when did you guys move over to like the to the area that we grew up in well our parents my parents had been there for i think a year before i was born so that house I was oh there. wow yeah i was there my entire life okay okay yeah so i mean i don't know i think we probably were hanging out like in early elementary school too like realistically like eight or nine years old i'd say probably yeah. about 20 years now I, I think i mean i could be wrong but we'll go with 20 my, uh, years <laughs> yeah 20 is a nice nice round number sounds good right Right. So, I mean, 20 years. So let's, let's try to break that apart and go over the highlights of those, uh, those that's years. A long, it's, a, it's a long, can I, can I, can I swear on this? Or yeah. We, Shit, we'll, piss, we'll fuck. Okay. Yeah. Go for it all. <laughs> that is a long fucking time to know somebody. Yeah. Yes. 20, 20 years. I don't think I've done anything for 20 years other than no Clayton Kateri. Hey, I mean, you know, there's, there's worse things you could do, right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, perhaps. I hope so. Right? <laughs> uh, <laughs> so uh, yeah, let's get into the DJ scene because I guess it's something I kind of yeah, always, man. I kind of always knew you did per se, but I never really like sure. fully. I don't think we ever really talked about it. Um, you know, okay. so because based on what my understanding is, is you pretty much got to a pretty 
let's say relatively high status within the Pittsburgh music scene. Would that be a fair, uh, fair assumption? Yeah, I would say so. Um, I mean, do you kind of just want me to like take it from the top as to like how all that stuff started and like where it progressed to? Yeah. Like let's start with that. Like what got you into music? What, what made you think I want to produce and mix some music for people? Yeah, man. I mean, so it was basically, it was one of those things where, you know, I had always been like doing music on and off. Like I played guitar growing up. I was in a school band in middle school, um, which is a really good experience because I learned about all these different types of drums and how to play drums and how to play like a snare drum, which really helped me later on with like all sorts of different stuff whenever it came to like making music or, you know, even just DJing. But there was always music happening. Um, nobody in my family was really into music. So they're always kind of like, all right, what's, what's this? Cool. We'll pay for the guitar lessons. Go for it. Um, but those were just like good enriching experiences growing up. And then whenever I was like 14, uh, I went to a rave in Pittsburgh on New Year's Eve. I was super young. Like I should not have been there. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, uh, lo and behold, you know, I, I ended up there somehow. Um, honestly, some of my friends were just going, so I just tagged along with them. I was uh, hanging out with a group of people on New Year's Eve. We didn't really know what to do. Someone was going, so we all just went. And, you know, they weren't checking IDs or anything like that. And, yeah, basically, like, I went there, and I was just like, oh, this is so cool. Like, this is it. Like, and this was before, like, electronic music had really become popular in the United States. Right. Um, this was maybe, like, what, 2010? So at that time, like, there was a lot of artists who were breaking through in Europe. And obviously, electronic music had always kind of been a mainstream thing in the UK or, you know, Germany, France, Belgium, wherever. But it hadn't really started to break through in America to where, like, you know, you would hear it on the radio. It was still this very underground thing, right? Everybody was mm -hmm. calling it rave music and this type of stuff because you'd expect to hear it at a rave. Even most clubs at that time... You know, like mainstream clubs in the strip district or wherever, they were mostly playing a format of hip hop, from what I understand. I mean, I wasn't really going to clubs at that time. I was just going to these raves. But yeah, basically I just like I went I went there and I was like, This is so cool. Like there's like a thousand people in this warehouse in this random part of town. Like, how does no one know about this? Like, this is the best party I've ever been to, like ever. And even now, it was one of the best parties I've probably ever been to because it was that good. <laughs> And there was all these people and it was just, it was just so crazy to see like this big thing happening that no one was talking about. It was like really kind of a mind, it was a mind fuck for me. Cause I was like, how does no one know about this? And like, I'm thinking like, wow, all my friends would like this too. Like this music's cool. There's a bunch of girls here. There's a bunch of people like I'm 14. I'm like in heaven. Right? So <laughs> Sorry you got young. It, it became, yeah. Right. So I was like, basically I went there and I was just thinking, I was thinking about it the next day. I was like, how do I do that? Like, do I throw raves? Like, do I do, do, do I just go all the time? Can I learn how to be a DJ? And I'm thinking okay. like, okay, I already know how to play guitar. Like I can play drums a little bit. Why, why don't I just figure out how to DJ? Right. So yeah, basically from that point on, it was just, I got a job washing dishes at a local restaurant. I saved up. I spent like a thousand something dollars on some gear. It wasn't very good, but it did the job and just started to learn. Um, it was like, yeah, I guess the first time in my life I was ever really captivated and taken by something to where like I could just spend eight hours just mixing, right? Just this track doesn't work with, you know, you've So gnarly, yeah. Like, right, like you this track doesn't work it. with this one. Yeah. Right, or like why does it sound bad if both of the bases are up? Oh, that must be because there's too much bass. I'm going to cut one of those and then... And yeah, basically it kind of started like that. And over time, I mean, things just happened. I was just really into it and I would go to every party that I could and 
I wanted to meet all the people who were doing, doing these events. And one thing led to another. Um, I eventually started, uh, the first place I was ever DJing at was a, uh, was a little event that me and one of my friends, uh, you, um, you probably knew him. His name was Paris Dietrich. So him and I started a little, uh, a little event on Tuesdays at a coffee shop in, in Bellevue. Um, so, so basically that was, that was really fun. Um, because it allowed us like a place to actually go DJ. It was like the only place that would actually just let us show up with speakers and just play music. <laughs> but, uh, but over time, like we kind of turned it into this like cool little thing. We'd have like 50 to a hundred people coming to a coffee shop in Bellevue on a Tuesday to listen to electronic music. Um, and that was kind of at the point where like, you know, we threw an event and I was like, okay, cool. Like this, this can work. Like, so you we were- can. So we, we can do something with this. So how did you do that then with like the coffee shop? You just went up and just said, Hey, I want to do this. I want to just mix this stuff. I want to make this sound good and uh, let me do it. Yeah. 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 Basically. I mean, I don't know. You talk about like trying to close a deal or like proposition people or like sell them on something. That was kind of that, you know, yeah. like basically me and me and my friend knew this coffee shop. We would go there all the time and just hang out and, uh, yeah, we just, we went there and we were talking to the owner. We're like, oh yeah, we're DJs. And he's like, where do you guys DJ at? We're like, well, nowhere yet. You know, we're trying to. And uh, we were just kind of like, yeah, I think we, if we DJ here, like we could bring our friends, you know, they'll buy some coffee. Like right. maybe we can get an older crowd too. Would you guys allow BYOB? And he's like, BYOB, I don't know. Can I do that? And he's yeah. like, yeah, sure. Go for it. So basically he just like let us have a Tuesday night because nothing ever happened there on Tuesday. He wasn't even going to open the shop on Tuesdays at that point, I don't think. Um, but basically, yeah, like more That's people just dope. show up, show up, show up. Yeah, and it just kind of happened like that. And then he was making money and then he wasn't paying us, which is fine. You know, we were kids. Right. First gig. Yeah. You're just doing it for fun. You're yeah. just loving the mixing. Yeah. You, just, you wanted other people to love what you were doing with you. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. So yeah, that's just kind of it, man. We just kind of had to sell them on the idea, but you know, it wasn't hard. It, yeah, was, it flowed know, pretty anything, easily. Yeah, we were like, "Oh, we'll work for you for free and help make you money. You have no risk at all." It's like, what you know, what business owner would say no to that? So, right? It's like this is a yeah, terrible man. day, anyhow. <laughs> I mean, yeah, basically, like if anybody really wants to be a DJ, like that's not a bad strategy to use. Like, I don't encourage anybody working for free, but like if you're brand new and you just want to get in front of people. Cause like, right. you know, those people, a lot of the people like I met at that coffee shop, like kept coming to gigs for like years, like for seven years afterward, like they'd be like, oh, wow. oh yeah, cool. You're throwing this party. Yeah, I'm down. Let's go. Um, and it was a really good way to get introduced to other DJs too. I think probably the most beneficial thing is that it wouldn't just be us DJing. Like we'd play for an hour or two hours and then we'd book two other DJs too. So we'd find DJs in okay. Pittsburgh and be like, Hey, will you come play at our party? Like just it's we can't pay you anything. We can give you free coffee and some pie or whatever. Right. Um, but it's pretty cool. All of our friends like to come. And most people were like, Yes, I would love that. I love what you guys are doing. I'm down. And it was just a good way to get introduced to other people. And a lot of those people were became lifelong friends who I still talk to, who I would produce music with, who I DJ with, who then booked me at their parties, you know, so I would book them, they would book me, we'd both get exposed to each person's audiences. Okay. So yeah, it was just, it was just a crash course and like doing a little event, you know, and then that was just kind of led to a bunch of other stuff later down the road. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Because you basically, I mean, the way I view it, right. It's like, you know, everybody wants to be playing, let's say at EDC in Las Vegas. Right. But you know, mm-hmm. you can't like, how the hell are you just going to get on EDC at Las Vegas? Or I, I don't even know what the pinnacle is, but just as an example, 
Right. And so totally. it sounds like what you did is essentially created your own event and then just expanded from there. Like, um, you know, you, you know, how do you, how do you get to where you want to be? It's like, well, just start as small as you can. And it sounds like for Absolutely. you, you just, you kind of created your own opportunity almost. Yeah, I think that's a pretty fair assessment of it. Um, and, you know, a lot of, a lot of people do that in a lot of different ways, right? Some people, I mean, some people will take like what we did and take it to the nth degree. There's one crew who I really like. You probably know about them. They're called Desert Hearts. Oh, yeah. Um, but basically with, yeah, those guys literally just started as a party. Super I think, good. I don't really know where. I, yeah, I, just some San tiny Diego. little party I think somewhere. it was in San Diego. It's out in the desert. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. But now it's this like gigantic national touring thing. Um, and they kind of blew up off that. So like that model. Oh, totally then maybe. Works. Okay, well, let me put my foot in my mouth. Then maybe it wasn't in San Diego. I know there's one that's like, at, like a couple miles okay. outside of it. So I'll <laughs> right. let's fact check that. Maybe I don't know. Yeah, I'm I'm not sure where they got started at. All I know is they're everywhere now. And I guess that's what matters. Right? Right. That's um, the end of the day. But yeah, great guys too. Yeah, great guys too. Like really good people to deal with. I mean, that's so cool because there's another kid that I want to get on. He started his, he basically was like, okay, how do I get more people to see my brand? He's like, okay, I'm going to start a label. And so he basically just started his own record label and then just invited his friends on. Yeah. And now he's like, yep. I mean, dude, he's, he's touring like every single, every single weekend. He's in like a different city, you know, doing different shit that's all sick. across the country. Yeah, man. He was like in Mexico, um, you know, but let's, let's not go okay. down his rabbit hole. I'm going to little teaser right, and get him sure, on at sure. some point. Um, but yeah, so this is basically how it all started for you. You said, all right, I, did you, let me ask you this. When you started, did you have any aspirations of, you know, making it your full-time thing or was it kind of just like, uh, I, I enjoy doing this. I want to do it for fun. Yeah, honestly, man, I just, I just wanted to play. I mean, I, I didn't really, um, I wasn't really in it to like be famous or to get in front of people. I just like, I love that music and I wanted to be a part of it in some way. Um, and then it was more like, you know, after I kind of got the thrill of being in front of people, I was like, okay, I want more people to be here. Right. You know, the right. ego kind of gets involved a little bit, For which sure. can be good and bad. We always want to keep growing, but, progressing. Yeah, sure. But at first it was just one of these things where I was like, I just want to do this. You know, I don't care what happens, but even if it's just me in my bedroom mixing records, I just want to be there mixing records. I just wanted to mix music. I wanted to do what I saw those guys doing at that first party. You know, right. that was really the goal. And yeah, I mean, and, and from there, you know, things, obviously it, it picked up a lot later on, you know, we playing in a lot more places than just the coffee shop, but yeah. So here's a, here's a question. Let's go back to something you said kind of earlier. Um, sure. And this is going to be for people. And I know I kind of a wide range of people who listen to this. So, uh, what is the difference between a rave and a club? Right. Because this is something I've okay. kind of, yeah, I, I think I've been to both, but like, I want to get someone who's been in the right. industry to kind of lay out like, well, this is a club because right. Cause there's, I guess a bar, yeah. there's a club and then there's a rave. And I don't know if there's anything else, but I would, I'm interested to get your opinion on that. Yeah, man. You know, the, the, the distinctions used to be more, more, um, I don't know, more, more bold in the past, right? Like okay. whenever, um, whenever, whenever electronic music was still underground, you had to go to basically like an unlicensed party that might be being thrown illegally in just some place thrown by a random guy who lives in the town who booked the DJs himself, gotcha. who hired people to decorate, who named it, who made the flyer, who, you know, 
who hired people to spin fire or paint pictures or, you know, uh, vend like little hemp bracelets or whatever and sell essential oils. You know, that's kind of like that. That's a rave. It's it's in some warehouse somewhere. But then, you know, shit started to get weird throughout the throughout. What do you even call that? Like the 2010s, I guess. Sure. That's weird. We're talking about it in retrospect. But (laughs) during the 2010s. Seems like yesterday. It's it's strange. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. right. Getting fucking old. Um, But during the 2010s, things started to get weird, man. Because like, you know, you had, um, how to describe this? You had, you had electronic music start to go mainstream in the United States, right? And it all kind of started off with like, do you actually, do you know the song that really sort of took electronic music into the mainstream? Can you Um, guess which one it is? Uh, maybe something by Steve Aoki or Marshmallow, I guess. So that that was a little bit after because those uh, Steve okay. Aoki was active during that time. Marshmallow, I think, came on the scene like in the middle of that decade. Okay, it was I got it was I got a feeling by the Black Eyed Peas, which was produced by David Guetta. Right? Oh, okay. That was that that was the first up tempo kind of club song that was getting played on the radio. So that would be like that an EDM, this, like. Well, if you if you listen to the record, right, it's okay. like uh, 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 it's like up tempo. It's dance music. It's not it's not hip hop. And at that time, everything was hip hop. That's fair. Hip hop. Yeah, time. I'm trying to like think of it now. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, and like and really like everybody. That's kind of what reignited the whole interest in like clubbing and electronic music really being in the mainstream because that was David Guetta. You know, I mean, that's he crazy. Was I didn't, an electronic artist. Yeah, I didn't know. Through and through. Yeah, that's what he, he was doing. He was. Yeah, I 100 percent agree. I had no idea that David Guetta. You say he produced that song? Yeah, that's crazy. I know. I had no idea I, that that happened. I think he's in the video. Really? Yeah, I think he's in the video. <laughs> I'm pretty. I'm pretty sure him with his long hair is clapping when he's the. I think. <laughs> I think I'm, I can't be sure. But... I would have to go look that up. That's pretty crazy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but like, so that song basically happened, and then like, okay, then other artists start to pop through. You know, Cascade becomes more popular in the mainstream, okay. as do guys like Steve Aoki. And at that point, you have like club DJs who start playing electronic music at clubs, right? That are normally playing hip hop. And then at the gotcha. same time, too, these mega festivals start to get popular. Guys like Skrillex pop on the scene. And then we kind of go through the whole dubstep era. Right. You know, that was that was whenever we were kind of like first, you know, end of high school, early college. Dubstep is becoming really popular in America. And that was also another thing where it was like, you know, guys at frat parties would listen to dubstep. Be like, this is fucking it. This is dope. Right. Right. And it's like this really bro-y, aggressive kind of sounds. Right. And, yeah, so basically, to answer your question, the lines between club and rave are kind of blurred now because they play rave music at clubs. And clubs, you know, there can be electronic music clubs now, but okay. it used to be, and this was kind of like, this was kind of a period of music history I'm happy I was involved in. Like, raves used to be this little homegrown thing. It always, it would have to be like, it was almost like the event itself was a work of art. Right. You know, you've got like, some guy who just wants to throw a party and then names it something cool then makes a beautiful flyer and then just does all this stuff to create an atmosphere and an event you know and at nightclubs you kind of don't get that as much i mean the club has a vibe but it's it's pretty much the same experience every time you go same yeah (laughs) whereas a rave's like a different location it's a different person putting it together it's kind of like the yep. the energy of like the the set that he you know the artist he brings on it who he like brings exactly. on um you know exactly. what, what the decorations are you know versus yeah. like what you're saying where a club you know you're any club you go to you're pretty much knowing what you get every single point of the time like anytime you go to that club 
hey. you know what you're getting. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You cut. You cut out a little. You cut out a little bit there. But I think. I think I heard what you said. You, okay. you basically know what you're getting whenever you go to a club, yep. right? Yeah. Exactly. And then I guess. Yeah. I guess and, a bar would be like where. Oh, go ahead. Sorry, I'll let you go. We'll we'll stick on the club. Yeah. Yeah. No. Ray of side of things. Okay. Yeah. Sure. I mean, we all know a bar. Though, yeah. Right? Um, but the the cool thing with those types of parties too is like you know you might have like a drum and bass DJ who's booked to be the headliner who's going to play the most busy best time slot of the night which is oftentimes like i don't know one to two or one to three right maybe right. he's playing a two-hour set and even if you've never listened to drum and bass like you you're like you have to be there at the at the party when everyone else is there and you're captive in one space and you have to listen to an artist play his music drum and bass right, right. and maybe it's funky house maybe it's drum and bass maybe it's uh hard style whatever right but you kind of like you won't, you have to have this like forced appreciation of like, all right, I, I don't know. I've never heard this, but I'm just going to dance to it. And all my friends are here. We're just going to have a good time. And it's a, it was a good way of broadening your musical horizons where you're like, you know, I've never listened to a drum and bass DJ before. Gotcha. But holy shit. That was so, that was so cool. And yeah, it was just, and that's, it's kind of a lost thing. And I think, yeah, I think that's an know? interesting thing that you touch on there with the, um, you know, like for me, drum and bass, I've looked that up before and it's not my style, right? Yeah. But the caveat right. is, but the thing is, and I think this is what you're hinting at, is like if I yep. go to a drum and bass rave or if I go to a drum and bass club and I'm surrounded by people yep. who are in that vibe, then you kind of understand what that music is like more about, how it feels, how the right. energy of it flows. Right. You know, it's more of like that mindset that you're supposed to be in or not supposed to be in, but it's like you're more in that energy that they're trying to create. Yeah, man. And like, it's just kind of exposure therapy to it too. You know, maybe like you don't like the first three tracks, but then there's a remix, you know, there's like a Rage Against the Machine drum and bass remix that, get, that gets thrown in there. Yeah. I think that actually happened. That actually <laughs> happened at a party. I was, I was at, I think it wasn't Rage Against the Machine. It was like, uh, the cops came to the party and wanted to break it up. And like, there was a drum and bass DJ played a fuck the police drum and bass remix. <laughs> and after that, I was like, drum and bass is dope. This, I love this shit. Uh, I never made it or really played it seriously, but I like listening to it. So yeah, the, the point is those experiences kind of open up your mind to shit that you might not have really uh, it kind of forced yourself to. Yeah. 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 And I'm horizon. sure you, you can appreciate that. You know, you're oh, a very sure. open-minded guy, you know, you like having new experiences. So yeah, well, and it's just, uh, and that's what was crazy with me is like, I didn't really, so like, like you said earlier, I listened to Skrillex. I think I remember scary monsters and scaring kids, I believe, or something like that. Night, Spirits. Scary monsters and nice sprites. Yes. Yeah. 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 Scary monsters and nice sprites. And I remember listening to that when I was a kid and I didn't know that I was listening to dubstep. Like maybe I knew it was dubstep, but I didn't know I was listening to EDM. Yeah. And it wasn't until right. I went out to San Diego and a buddy like San Diego is a huge like house scene. Um, and a buddy introduced right. me to like zoo and I was like, holy shit, like this is pretty good. And then I like kind of started going through all the genres, like the house music, um, kind of like in a tech house phase now. And, but along cool. the way it like, it was like, holy shit. Like, first of all, I know I thought I never liked EDM. Second of all, I never realized that I was <laughs> yeah. listening to EDM, you know, with Skrillex. Right. And then it was like this whole, like, <laughs> you know what I mean? It was just this weird, like mind yeah. shift of like, like, you know, what was going on here before and like what I was missing out. But I think it also ties yeah. in. It's that atmosphere. It's the people who listen to it. It's that, it's that like, okay, there's a way outside of just these like normal instruments we can use, like, you know, whether it's synthesizers yeah. or, and I don't even want to go into the whole thing because I don't really know anything, but drum pads, you know, all these different things. 
to create yeah, man. these yeah. just very, you know, more dynamic, more, more like across the spectrum music than what you're traditionally listening to. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's just a really interesting, you know, little subculture. I mean, I spent like a huge portion of my life involved in that. And yeah, I know exactly what you mean. You're like, wait, I like electronic music. What? <laughs> like, isn't that, and all these stereotypes come up in your mind of like, yeah. isn't that wait, electronic music, isn't, isn't that it? And you're like, no, it's not. It's just cool. And my yeah. friends like it. We're here having a good time. So fuck it. Let's turn it on. Yeah. That, that kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. I know what you mean is what I'm trying to say. You know? Yeah. And it's like, it's all just yeah. such different, like kind of energies associated with like different things, whether you're like melodic house or, oh, yeah. you know, it, the rabbit hole is so deep. That's the, I mean, that's the crazy thing I think about me is like, you know, it's, it's like, there's all these like trees almost. And then people are creating like trees off the branches, like the branches start touching each other. And yeah. there's like a tree that comes off of that. And it's like, Oh, well, it's like a subgenre of this or subgenre of that. And it's like, absolutely. At some level, it's almost like there's like a EDM genre for everyone. And you can kind of like find your own niche. Yes. Yes, definitely. Especially like, cause after the whole dubstep thing took off, then there was trap. Like, I don't know if, if you remember that you probably hear trap music now, but like, that was like electronic hip hop music. It was like hip hop producers were making dubstep and they're like, fuck it. We'll just throw in more hip hop elements to this. And that was huge. I mean, I remember okay. like 2014 to 2016, that was a huge thing. And that brought a lot more people into like just the movement, I guess. I remember hearing they, about trap. Yeah. And you know, it's not as popular now, but like, that was a big thing where everybody was so used to listening to hip hop. And then you like go to a electronic, you go to a rave and you're kind of hearing like hip hop ish stuff there. It caused a lot of controversy in the scene. Cause everybody's saying like, why are we all playing hip hop now? What's this? But Interesting. it was still cool. Yeah. But you know, I, I digress. You're right. There is definitely a, there's definitely a genre for everybody. It's just like, you know, is that person going to get immersed in it to realize they like it? Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. I was just in Orlando yeah. and uh, it was funny. There was a kid I was talking okay. to. Um, and, uh, it, we were, we were talking about drugs and he was like, uh, you know, I was like, <laughs> it, Oh boy. Yeah. We just, uh, and so we came to like, um, uh, you know, we came to some of the drugs and he was like, oh yeah, I've never done that one. Uh, and we were talking about ecstasy and I was like, oh, like how come? And he was just like, you know, I hear it changes your, uh, the way you listen to music and I'm not <laughs> sure I want to do that yet. <laughs> Isn't that the point? Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that the point? Isn't that the best part? It definitely changes the way you listen to music. Yeah. That's why everyone does it yeah. at parties. Yeah. I thought it was pretty um, crazy. I was like, dude, I mean, well, you know, teach their own, right? Maybe he's still trying to get the rest <laughs> out of country music and all that. I mean, you know, like if you're just at the Kenny Chesney show and your friend's got some Molly, he just fucking <laughs> might as well die. <laughs> Holy shit, oh, that'd God. be crazy. Oh. I don't know if I'd ever do that. I would definitely not do that. <laughs> I, mean, I, that. I would not do I would have some Bud Light and whatever and fucking go home and go to bed early after Kenny Chesney, man. Well, okay. Um, <laughs> so here, here's actually an interesting segue, right? Nobody at a okay. – I, I don't think anyone at a Kenny Chesney would do Molly, right? So therefore, you probably shouldn't. And and here's something oh, – but here's something I've realized. Now, I, I'm interested in your opinion of this. I've been okay. at like festivals and whatnot and completely sober. I've been there completely sober, but the atmosphere around me or the energy around me, maybe so many people are on yeah. drugs that I'm like, I feel like I'm a little high. Like, I feel like it's yeah. like kind of like falling off onto me a little bit. 
Yeah, sure, sure. I understand what you mean. I mean, like, do you kind Maybe of want me, do you have a specific question? No, do I was you just want me to expound up. on that? <laughs> Whatever no, you're I, feeling. I, I mean, you're no, you're right. Like, I mean, it's I don't know because like when you're DJing, you're in that environment every single weekend. Like, right. A lot of the time, it was. I mean, for me, it was like three days a week, if not four, um, every weekend for like four or five years when I was really hitting it hard in so, Pittsburgh, so right? Let's, and, let's take a step back. Show me that growth. So, right, you, okay. you start out once a week, you're at a coffee shop, you're um, yep. killing it with your friends, you start inviting other people to come to the coffee shop to DJ with you. And then how does yep. the, I assume it was parabolic. I assume you just did that for a really long period of time. But fill me in, um, maybe I'm wrong. Yeah. Yeah, it was, you know, man, I was, I was really in the right place at the right time. And I had a good work ethic, you know, and that was, it was a lot of, it was, a, it was me being fortunate. And then also, you know, like just coming from a family that really valued working hard and trying to do your best with stuff. So it was, you know, it, it wasn't always awesome too. You know, there'd be a lot of nights where like nobody would show up, but then the next night it would be great or the next week it would be great. It would really depend on a lot of different stuff, but I uh, basically, you know, we all graduated, we all graduated high school and um, I had played like one or two kind of big shows as a result of the coffee shop. I got to play at Stage AE opening for Laidback oh, nice. and I think, tw yeah, in 2012. And it was, it was crazy. It was at Stage AE DJing and I just started DJing like six months before and like my parents were there and like, That's uh, my, sick. And, like all my friends were yeah, it was, it was really, it was fun for, it was cool for them because they were kind of like, oh, this is actually a real thing. We're going to just, you know, let him do his yeah. thing like this. <laughs> Did yeah, you feel some resistance? But, Did you feel some resistance from your parents? Like, your parents are pretty like easygoing in my opinion too. Yeah, they're very cool people. Um, I think that, you know, they just kind of come from a, they come from a period where it is uh, very, you know, there's, there's a certain social contract that people who sure. are from that era follow, you know, sure. people who are now in their fifties or sixties where they understand that, you know, you go to college and you get a job and then you get a family and you're in mid twenties. I'm not saying point. my parents were, strictly like that it was just that they very much expected me to have a much more traditional route um but it was more whenever they saw like oh this is a real thing you know he's actually like playing places and making money too um then they were just kind of like okay this Important. is a business we're just kind of kind of let you do your thing but at first they were skeptical you know as most good parents should be sure if they're Teen, their teenager is going to these parties. Yeah. Um, <laughs> they weren't really they weren't really cool with that at first either um yeah, but uh, a little bit, but you know, it's it's like I think there's just there's a healthy level of skepticism that people who care about you have whenever you want to do something that's kind of out of the ordinary, you know, out of their realm of understanding of what's good or safe or you know will yield a good future for you. You know what I mean? Yeah, they want to keep you in the guardrails, make sure you're not you know flying off the road. Right, right, right. And and there's and there, to be fair, you know, there's a lot of people I know who did, you know, like some of my friends in uh, high school were just fucking going insane, right? Like just going way too hard and partying all the time. And like, you know, that actually was bad. Like the bad things could have happened. You know, luckily we all pretty much got out of all that stuff pretty unscathed. But, right. you know, there's, there's, there's a certain level of concern that like as an adult, I look back and I'm like, okay, cool. I get, I get why my parents were like that. You know, they were just being good parents. Right. Um, there's a healthy level of like, all right, we shouldn't be letting our kid who's, you said 14 <laughs> was the first time you went to a rave. Which, yeah, I don't, well, no one knew about that. I didn't, didn't really tell uh, them that was there, but yeah. Uh, um, sorry, Mr. Mr. Rissick. <laughs> Yeah, sorry, 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 mom and dad. Listen to this. I apologize. It led to a good. It led to where you are today, right? 
I hope. I, I think it led to a pretty good outcome. I mean, I hope so. I, I hope that the proof is in the pudding, but what can we say, right? That's all. I mean, I guess that's really all you have, right? Is like right now to kind of justify the past. Um, yeah. 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 So if we, so let's, let's keep the train rolling. Right. Um, cause I cool. know, it, okay. I know there's a little hiccup in this whole DJ thing a down the road. And I, I'd love to hear your, uh, you, I'd love to hear you explain it. Um, it, so yeah. So where we're at, where we at, you were doing the, you were getting shows like at stage AE, which was a solid venue. Um, and then yep. this was six months after you started DJing. Um, and so then did you kind of keep growing? And then it sounded like you started to go in and play internationally, if I remember correctly. Yeah. You know, it didn't take too long. I went to, uh, I went to college and, uh, I was living in a dorm and I couldn't bring my decks to the dorm. Right. I couldn't fit my DJ gear in there and it fucking pissed me off every single day. I was just so mad. I couldn't practice. Right. And I could tell that living in this dorm was really fucking up my DJ career because I couldn't mix, I couldn't put out, you know, I couldn't put out mixes. So basically one day I just called my parents and I was like, I'm transferring to community college. I'm going to go get an apartment on the north side. I can't fit my DJ gear in here. Sorry, I'm not going, I'm not, I'm not going to class anymore. I'm not doing it. That's like crazy. if you guys want, if you guys want, you can pay for me to go to community. If not, I just won't go to college, whatever. This is just what's happening by, right? Because um, I knew that's what I wanted to do. Right. I, was, I was adamant. There was nothing was going to stop me. I was not taking no for an answer. So, you know, my parents said, okay, you want to go to community? Cool. So I got an apartment near the community college. And finally I was able to, I built a DJ booth in my house and oh, shit. just basically dove straight, dove straight back into it. Um, and then again, naturally started getting booked for more shows and it was maybe like, I don't know, six months into having my own place that I got a call or I got a Facebook message from a uh, from an after hours nightclub in downtown Pittsburgh that was kind of shuddering a little bit. You know, the business was uh, was was not necessarily going great. It historically had been a gay bar, but they were trying to, you know, just kind of welcome everybody at this point because, you know, gay bars aren't as much of a thing anymore. Right. It's like, sure. you know, gay people can go to wherever they want as they should. So they wanted sure. to kind of, you know, re rebrand and uh you know just kind of be welcoming to everybody and kind of just throw like a cool party with electronic music so i got this random message on facebook from like a facebook page that was like a person like like someone had made their their, their someone had made a personal facebook page for this nightclub okay. um, and i got a message from there they were like hey are you interested in being our resident dj and i was like what like i don't even know who these people are <laughs> i've never been to this place um but basically they invited me down and I discovered this place that uh, it was called Tilden. I'm sure you saw the ads for this a lot. And this was my residency for about five years, right in the heart so of the cultural district. Quick, and it had um, a liquor license that allowed it uh, to stay open from 2 a.m. until about 3.20 a.m. Um, and it, it closed then, but maybe sometimes we could stay open a little later, whatever. But basically, yeah, like you had this, you had this, this time to party after all the clubs had closed. So basically that became my project in college was like being a club promoter throwing events and djing there so that nice. was kind of the whole coffee shop model on steroids yeah. and it was just like yeah you so just, basically there then i'm sorry what no go ahead i was like i was just saying you just like brought it full circle almost like where you started like to where you were then um it, yeah one thing i was curious about though yeah mm -hmm. resident yeah. dj what is a resident dj like you play there all the time yeah, so the resident DJ of a place is usually like you're you're known for playing there frequently, right? So you can have a once a month residency, you can have a once a week residency. Okay. I have a all the time residency. So I was playing three days a week, but then there would also be times when like, 
if I felt it would benefit the club, I would book another DJ to play. Then they would pay me for kind of managing the event and everything. Um, but it was just, it was so fun because it allowed me like, you know, I basically, I created a Facebook page and a Twitter and an Instagram for them. And I did all the graphic design myself and I would throw themed parties there, just like the raves I used to go to growing up. Um, and, and I just tried to kind of do it like I had seen it done so well prior to that. I was like, I wanted to book cool DJs and kind of build a culture there and really make it a known place in the city for where you go to hear electronic music. So that was kind of awesome. how that happened. Yeah. And, and from there, everything just kind of blossomed out because I was playing all the time. I had a consistent income. I mean, they were paying me pretty good money for being in college too. It was like a middle-class existence basically just from DJ, which was so cool. Yeah, it was dope. Um, you know, I paid all my own bills through college and everything off this and Hell yeah. I, got to, I took some of that money. Yeah, I was investing it back into my career, but also into, you know, some other stuff too, just general financial things. Um, but yeah, that was really like the, the turning point when, you know, now I kind of had a whole club at my disposal. Like, you know, God had just gifted me this like nightclub and said, here you go, manage this. You can get paid to do it. Don't fuck it up. Have a good time. And Damn. that was, kind yeah, that was kind of it. And then from there I could, uh, I could, I could kind of leverage that book DJs who were playing at other places, then swap with them. And from there, yeah, basically like I became friends with everybody who was DJing all over the whole city. And I'd find like the resident DJs at a lot of these places. And I would say, Hey, what's up? Do you want to come and play another gig after your gig closes down? Cause we're in after hours. We open at 2 AM. Nice, Their right. gig shut at two. So I'd be like, yo, like, do you like electronic music? How about you come play a fun electronic set over here? Come to my spot. I'll get you drunk. We're going to have a great time. Free drinks all night, whatever. I'll make a cool flyer. Um, I'll shout you out on the microphone. It'll be like, we can, maybe we can make a video, get good photos of you. And everybody hey. was down to do that. Cause it was just a fun place to play. So I'd bring people in and I'd give them this awesome experience. You know, I'd really try hard to make it special and fun for them. And then naturally they'd be like, Hey, come to my spot. You really hooked me up. I'm going to hook you up. So Hell yeah. that's just kind of, just kind of how business works in general. But having that as like, um, I don't know, a thing in my arsenal to kind of, you know, build relationships with people was really, really helpful. And that was kind of where like, I, I, I met most, yeah, I met most of the people who followed me for a while. And yeah, it was just, it was a really, really good time. It was a real, it was really fun. I mean, the club's still open now, you know, I'm not really involved in the management or the booking anymore. Basically other people handle that at this point, but sure. it's still a great place to go. If you're in Pittsburgh, do you think they would like, if you just texted them like, Hey, like I want to come DJ again, they'd be like, of course. I mean, yeah, you know, we frequently have this conversation. It's just that like, I'm just, I'm really busy right now. Oh, you know, right. It takes, yeah, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm sure I could, you know, it's not that, uh, and this kind of gets on to later, to later. Things, but yeah, maybe we, really maybe retired, we wait, but, oh, let's, maybe yeah. we wait on that. Let's, uh, cool. let's roll it back a little. Sure, let's yeah, roll it back yeah. a little. <laughs> okay. Word. Let's roll it back. Rewind. A little. Yeah. <laughs> Getting All too right. far ahead. <laughs> it's about the journey. Um, Dude, this is sick. Okay. So uh, you're killing it. You're a resident DJ at a certain place uh, at Tilde. Tilde? Did I say it right? Shout out Tilde. Um, Tilden. T-I-L-D-E-N. All right. Tilden. If you live in yeah. Pittsburgh, go check out Tilden. Get in the EDM scene. Absolutely. Um, shout out Tilden. Yes. So you're the resident DJ there. It sounds like you're getting a whole bunch of like business um, business ideas flowing. You're, 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 you're really seeing the whole picture of what goes into producing a... I want to say like a theatrical performance almost, but like a, just a book, a DJ, promote a DJ, really the whole club scene yeah. in general. Um, yes. And so 
I guess, where does the, I mean, you're a resident DJ there. Where does the story go from there? How, how's it progress? <clears throat> so, yeah, I had been doing that and it was kind of like, it was kind of paradise, honestly. You know, I was like 20, 20, 21, had a full-time job DJing, had a bunch of cash to play with. I mean, not a huge amount, but like, you know, you give a college kid a middle-class income from DJing and you're going to have a pretty good time. Right. Um, oh, for sure. Well, but what I started to realize is like, cool, if I want to take this thing to the nth degree, I have to produce my own music, right? I have to get sit in a studio, which is different than DJing, right? This, and this is oh, the reason sure. most most of local DJs never really take off or do anything because they don't make records, right? And basically like making tracks, you know, making a track that you play is a lot different than like, a you know, a DJ just downloads music off the internet, mixes it plays it at the right time, maybe does some cool DJ tricks, talks on the mic, whatever. They have a charismatic personality. They're good, kind of good at marketing. You know, you can do well off that. But if you want to play at EDC or you want to play at a festival or you want to tour, you know, you have to make records that people can stream on Spotify, download on Beatport, listen to when they're driving, whatever. That's mm -hmm. really like, that's that's a big thing you have to do. So that's like the next yeah, step it didn't take with music. It's like, yeah. It, yeah. 100%. Yeah, which 100%. is which I've and, tried to do and it's no easy feat. Like it, there's a element of trying to like oh, I want this to sound a little like that or I want that to sound a little like this and it just becomes this own little thing. It is hard. It is not easy at all. Um so yeah, like maybe I want to say a year, maybe two years into DJing full time, I was like, "Cool, I have to become a producer now." So, in addition to, you know, managing this club and you know playing there all the time and what, you know, going to college and trying to, you know, do that. Right. Um, I was like, cool, I'm going to be a producer too. So yeah, like those, I don't know, the last two, three years of my college career were just like every single day I was in my studio working on tracks. I was, you know, just ex failing forward, right? Trying one thing, it sucks. Try another mm -hmm. thing, it sucks. Learn this, watch this tutorial, whatever. And yeah, that was, I mean, that was not like an easy process at all. Like learning how to produce. I had a really hard time figuring it, figuring it out at first. Um, it did pay off eventually, but yeah, at that point I started to make, uh, I started to produce records, release them with smaller record labels, get them on SoundCloud channels, which aren't as much of a thing anymore. It's all about Spotify now. And right. I made uh, a few really good connections with people. Uh, I got linked up with this guy, Eric Sharp, who's still probably one of my closest friends to this day. Um, and I was making records with him. He was living in Los Angeles. He had club residencies there. So we'd make a record. He'd bring me to Los Angeles. Then I'd come and play there. And I was, and it would kind of be like, oh, okay, cool. So like now I'm playing in LA and I have a residency in Pittsburgh. And then maybe I'd meet people in Ohio and I'd book them. And then, it, so you have this image of like, oh, cool. He's always playing all over the place, right? That's just kind of how you do it. You build those relationships with people. Um, but yeah, the production stuff all kind of, yeah, man. The production stuff kind of all came to a head um, right in like, I think it was 2017 whenever um, I was, I, uh, I was basically invited to do a masterclass with a, a record label called Tool Room Records. So they had just launched an academy program um, that they had, uh, they had put together, basically showing you how to make electronic music, but how to make electronic music really well in a specific okay. way. And basically, that was the thing that... Um, that was the thing that got me to say, okay, cool. I'm going to move away from everything. I'm going to, you know, drop my club residency, everything. And I'm going to move to England because that's where they're at. Right. And I'm just going to go and sit in the studio with these people who've offered to just let me do that. Right. As a tester of this program they were doing. 
And yeah, pretty much like at that point, I kind of walked away from, you know, solid middle-class income, club residency, um, a lot of notoriety in one city because I wanted to produce music that people knew I was like dedicated to taking it to the next level. So that's really where the international stuff started was with that particular label and being invited over there just to kind of be a part of, you know, their little family, I guess. Um, and sure. We're still all really good friends to this day. Um, you know, I've done a lot of work with them over the years. But yeah, that's really where it all kind of started the international stuff. Um, and that's whenever I started working with them and having, you know, their producers and their engineers say, oh, no, this is the wrong way. Try this, try this out this way. Fixing a few things in the process is what really right. catapulted it. And that and that's whenever I started like, OK, cool, I can release a track and it'll get 100,000 streams. Um, this track will chart on Beatport. This track will get played by this DJ in this club. That's when all that stuff really started to take off is whenever... You know, you kind of get taken under the wing of someone who really knows their shit and, and is just a all master. The that was stuff. Because exactly. I mean, you know, exactly. you go in and you, first of all, I mean, it's even crazier when you want to talk about EDM music because of how many different elements there are. I mean, there's arguably, arguably infinite, right? Versus traditionally, yeah. if you're talking about a band, you have like, what, four max, you have a singer, you have the vocals, you have oh, yeah. guitar, bass, drums. And maybe a woodwind yeah. like at that, something like that. But man, you look at some of these like ED, uh, like EDM songs and they'll have just like 20, 20, 30. And maybe that's on the light side. I don't know exactly, but it seems like at least 20 different elements going at the same time. And then you want to dissect that down. And I'm, I guess I'm just trying to amplify, you know, how difficult it is to make sure, because, yeah. because then each one of yeah. those individual elements, you need to like the fine tuning that occurs, like whether it's like hitting the bass harder, whether you're smoothing out the ends of each note, whether it's yep. um, making it more dramatic, making it less dramatic. And you have to think about all of this while trying to figure out the, the theme of what you want that song to be doing. You can't be like, Oh yeah. You know what I mean? Like everything has to work together. Yeah. I mean, just like a normal song, but like, you know, when you have 20 different elements, you're like, well, okay, I want it to sound a little bit more, you know, like what emotion, like given emotion, love. I want it to sound a little bit more like love. Well, that sounds right. a little bit more like anger. Well, we need to edge that out. Well, that's going to affect this one. Yeah. And it creates that whole cascading effect throughout the entire thing. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's just, it's very rare. Like, I don't know. I think about this in the history of like music being made that like one person is expected to like understand percussion, understand music theory, right. Understand synthesizers and sound design. Cause like you hear a sound in a, in a record, someone probably had to make that sound on a synthesizer. Mm -hmm. They like literally made that sound and then they played chords with it or they played it in a certain scale over top of a bass line that's in the same key as that. Right. And if you figure all that out, then you have to know songwriting too, right? Which is like the dynamics of how to write a good song. You know, maybe you're going to get a vocalist in there. Maybe you're going to coach that vocalist on what to do. And then on top of that, on top of that, you had to write all this shit and put it together and then design the sounds and play the drums. You're not actually playing the drums, but digitally, whatever. Then on top of that, you have to be the studio engineer who like mixes and masters it too, which is like, in the, in the traditional like music world, that's all a different person, right? right? Like you hire, you hire a bass player, you hire a drummer, you hire a vocalist, they all sit in the room and then a different person mixes it, which means like, okay, the bass needs to be this loud and the drums need to be this loud. And then the, the saxophone needs to be this loud. And then the singer needs, to, that's one person and then mastering it, which is basically the way that it, 
basically making it so that it sounds good in a stadium and on your laptop speakers. That was all different people. But like, as producers of electronic music, we're like, oh yeah, we'll just do all that. We're gonna do all of it. So crazy. Now, granted, you might you might not do everything every single time, but you at least need to kind of know how, like, because it's your process, you know? Right, so, because it's all gonna affect each other. So you need to at least be aware exactly. of like the next step or this step or that step and kind of just go from there. 100%, uh, 100%, 100%. So then, I mean, let's keep, <laughs> without getting into those fine tuned things, let's keep going along the timeline, right? right? Sure. So you fly over to England yeah. and you're now, ready to start recording, start doing all this crazy stuff with, you know, producing music, um, obviously yeah. producing, I mean, t producing, <laughs> teaching people how to produce <laughs> as well. Like, so what, uh, how, what happened after that? Yeah. So that was kind of when everything, and this is just kind of a good, like life and business lesson. Like if you want to learn how to do something, you have to go hang out with people who are really good at it. Right. Like anything in the world, like, let's say like, you know, you want to get in really good shape. You start hanging around with dudes who are in really good shape, you know, and they'll tell you how they like eat brown rice and chicken and broccoli at certain times of the day and break up their workout like this. Same thing with producing, right? It's All like, right. if you want to get really good at producing, you have to hang out with really good producers, not intermediate people, not guys who are kind of on your level. You need to hang out with people who are really, really fucking The best. Good. You need and the best. If you can, you know, and, and if and to get into those circles, you have to have something to kind of offer them, you know, even if it's just you like, oh, yeah, you guys need coffee here. I'll go make some coffee. Right. Or being like a cool, supportive person who's kind of doting over them like, wow, that's so great. And not being fake either, actually giving a fuck about what, you know, the people around you are doing. That's a right. lot. Of, that's, a, that's one thing people in the music industry try to fake all the time is being interested in other people. But Everybody can snuff that out. Right. You know? oh, but, I mean, that's just a natural human thing. And I mean, I think that goes, hunt. yeah, that goes across the board, right? If you're, there's two issues here, right? Number one, if you're being inauthentic, yeah. I mean, you can feel it a right. mile away. Number two, yep. if you're being inauthentic, trying to do something that you don't really want to do because you're inauthentic about it. Like, oh, I know DJs are right. super sick and they are playing at all these nightclubs and everybody yeah. loves them and they get all this stuff. And I just want to do it for that. You're not really going to be able yeah. to do it. You got to do it because you love doing it. You got, you're not going to teach yourself how to learn how to mix and master stuff if you don't love doing it. Right. Yeah, man. Totally. Totally. So, you know, just kind of getting in the room with those folks and really like fine tuning my process. And that's kind of when all the production stuff really started to take off. Um, I think it was 2017, that same year I had a, I had a track get played by like, most of like my favorite DJs, uh, Mark Knight, Pete Tong, Benny Benassi, David Guetta, basically they all started playing my music. And at this point I'm like, whoa, like hold on. Like, <laughs> cause I kinda, di I kinda didn't expect that. I thought I was gonna make better music, but that's when everything was boom, really started to kind of go. Um, and yeah, at that point I had kind of stopped doing my club residencies and I had just started to more focus on playing like individual really good gigs, which is an adjustment cause you go from playing all the time to playing like once a month but the party's bigger and it's cooler and there's, you know, it's, it's just the music you want to, it's just the music you want to play. But the other thing too, is you're making less money doing that. You know, you kind of have to take a pay cut for being like a professional local DJ. It's like a budding producer who's coming up in the international scene. Uh, you know, you can make really good money being over here, being like the local DJ in a city. Like I know guys who are easily making six figures doing that. Really? No problem. Right. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to say it's easy. They have to play some weddings too, maybe some not so cool gigs, but it's very possible to have a six figure income off of playing local gigs. Okay. No, no doubt about or it. Or being just the but DJ. Being, you know, the, 
you know, in the area. Yeah. But then you're, but even like with your story, you wanted to take it up a notch. You weren't content with just exactly. being the, you weren't content with just making six figures and being the cool local DJ. You're ready to take it to the world. Yes. And, and so right. therefore you're now, you're not playing what, well, not now, now, but in the story, you're playing like once a month. Basically. Yeah. It would be like one really cool gig in Europe, like once a month or something like that. Like maybe I'd play like a, I don't know, a two to three set in London. And then the next month I'd play some cool party in Ukraine or something like that. And then, you know, maybe I'd even go back to, there's a few times I went back to Pittsburgh to do homecoming things. Right. But you know, this is kind of where I started to realize like the, 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 the issues with, with this lifestyle, so to speak, right. Okay. Is that it's like, okay, cool. Like I went from making all this money being a local DJ to then, you know, and really not, not just being known by people in Pittsburgh. Right. And just kind of, you know, being the local guy, you know, the cool guy in the club, whatever. Right. Sure. Um, a lot of people, a lot of people really thrive off of that. I was kind of sick of it after a while. I almost felt like it was, I don't know. I'll probably get in trouble for saying this, but I almost felt like it was just kind of like embarrassing. I'm like, Oh, I'm a Pittsburgh DJ. Who the fuck cares? Right. And, if any Pittsburgh DJs hear that, they're probably going to crucify oh. me for saying that. But well, it's how you felt. You know, I mean, I, I, it sounds like it wasn't aligning yeah. with you, right? And if someone else wants to do that, more power to them. Sure. Go for it. It's a lot of fun. But you know, you you end up in this situation where it's like, oh, cool. Like you go from that to then, like, oh, cool. Your tracks are getting played by the biggest DJs in the world. You're doing good streaming numbers, and you're you're getting a lot of clout on the internet. But that's not necessarily converting into money and the ability to live. Right. And that's okay. kind of where I kind of hit a starving artist, art, artist period for about two and a half years, which was very, very challenging, uh, a very hard thing to go through personally and something I just kind of didn't want to do. And that's sort of why I ended up more of in a business, uh, a business setting as I kind of am now. But yeah, it was um, a lot of people are just kind of content with like, I'm just an artist and I'm just going to make music and, you know, this is just my life and I don't care where I live. I don't care, you know, if, if I can't afford this or that, it's just music is everything. And, you know, kind of what I realized about myself is that it wasn't just about the music. It was also about a lifestyle too. You know, I, I liked, I love the music, but I also love the lifestyle as well. And sure. at that point, the lifestyle wasn't there. It was just the music. Um, and after a while, you kind of get a little sick of just like, you know, clout from people like everyone's dapping you up. Oh, that's so cool. That's so cool. It's like, yes, thank you. I appreciate that. That's I'm very grateful towards that. But at the same time, too, you know, like that Internet clout doesn't necessarily pay the bills. Right. Right. Set you up so you can, you know, buy your favorite kind of yogurt or go to a yoga class or have a personal trainer, <laughs> buy new clothes, buy new clothes that, you know, not from the thrift, not from the thrift shop, you know, so the accessories um, of life. But yeah, it was. Yeah, man, you know, so that's kind of how I ended up where I'm at now. And I don't want to downplay, you know, whenever it was really good. I think probably most of 2019, not most of it, but like a good chunk of it, I was touring. I was flying around all the time. I was like, it was, it was good too. And a lot of it was in the United States. Like there was, I mean, I was living in Europe at the time. I'd kind of settled more or less over here. Um, but there was one time whenever I had basically booked a small tour in the U S around the East coast. And then in the middle of it, I got an offer to go to Barcelona. Right. And I was like, and I'm on the phone, my, I'm on the phone with my agent and he's like, do you want to go to Spain? And I was like, I'm just leaving Europe. I'm going to be in Pennsylvania. That's like the few days I have. I want to hang out with my family. And he's like, yeah, but come on. Like, just like, we'll just add it in. It'll be cool. Like you're going from Europe to the United States back to Europe. And I'm like, but then I have to go back to the United States again and then back to Europe to go home. So it was like six flights. It was the fucked up, like yeah. ridiculous, 
but I did it. Um, and yeah, like it was, it was just insane. So like I flew from, I was living in Ukraine at the time, flew to the United States, played three gigs and was still super hungover, took an Uber to the airport straight from the gig, went back to Barcelona, right. Uh, or went to Barcelona, played a gig there. And then of course flew back to America, finished the tour and then flew back home in Europe. Jeez, um, man. And, and shit like that is really fun. I'm not going to lie. It's, it's a really, really good time. But there's a dark side to it too. There's certainly downsides well, to Phil, doing shit like that. Well, let's let's talk about the dark side, right? Because I think I think okay. that's probably at some level more important, right? We we're all yeah. uh, let's say the average person is more accustomed to the glamour, the glitz and glamour of being a music producer, traveling the world. Let's say, um, you know, yeah. But let's let's dive in if, if you're comfortable with it. I'd, yeah, I'd, of course. Okay, I'd love to dive into you know the your uh, self-proclaimed sure. two years of a starving artist and um, yeah. anything else that's negative that you or maybe not negative but just darker than what yeah. people realize. Like like where was it where you had to really be evaluated at like okay I have to love this I have to this has to resonate with my soul at the deepest level if I'm going to continue to do it. That's a really good way of putting it, Clayton, saying it resonates with the deepest level of your soul. I like that. Um, very poetic. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, yeah, yeah, man. I mean, you know, I guess it's kind of a weird thing because like it's it's this is all happening on the backdrops of like your dreams are coming true. You know, like right. it's for for I don't know, for a lot of folks, it'd be like becoming a professional athlete or, you know, I, I, I don't know, starting. I'm trying to think of an equivalent having some other success in the music industry but it's on the backdrop of like it's it's this weird emotional experience of going through where like everything you ever wanted to happen is happening right and on and re really good too like your favorite djs are playing your records you see them getting played at the biggest clubs you're touring you're making okay money you know i mean it's not great but like you're still eating right and uh you know you 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 have it's how to describe this it's like this is the kind of stuff I think a lot of people don't talk about as a DJ is like, if you think of it, it's almost this weird, like anthropological thing. I'm going to be kind of nerdy here because I'm a little bit of a academic type it. of guy. I quite like, I quite like to read a lot, but it's almost like it's, you're in this weird position where you're standing on an elevated platform in front of a large crowd and everybody's just kind of doting on you in a sense. Not every gig. Some gigs are different, but a lot of the time it's like people are looking up to you, waiting for you to give them something. Right. And you're doing this wizardry with music and you're delivering them these emotions, you know, and maybe if you're, if you're a good MC too, you're talking on the microphone, a lot of the gigs I was at, you know, that's not really cool, but I used to do it a lot more whenever I was just playing locally. And you can kind of like command people and tell them what to do. Like, Hey, put your hands up. Oh yeah. Everybody jump, whatever. That's kind of tacky. Again, I wasn't really doing that touring, but right. stuff like that, it affects, it affects you on a weird level. You know, you like, you you develop this kind of weird perception of people and stuff like that and you i almost kind of think like you your ego will grow it just happens right um granted sure. you become a good public speaker at the same time too but you know it's there's this there's this strange backdrop of of like all these different things and you're feeling like wow all the stuff i wanted is happening and i'm in front of all these people and you you know your ego is growing at that same rate so that's kind of the like personal backdrop of it but but then like, you know, there's the obvious stuff too. Like everybody in America parties super hard in, in, in college, but like drinking that much alcohol is just not good for you. No. <laughs> you know, um, 
and like you know i you know i'm 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 a, I'm a slavic right like my family is from eastern europe like they're a drinking right. family historically and you know that's that's all good uh you know i was involved in food for a long time there was always wine involved with that kind of stuff but you just kind of get the downside of like oh cool i'm I'm out all the time. And even if you're not DJing, like you're still, okay, I'm in the city and this promoter's here. So I'm going to go party with them. And I'm talking to them till four or five o'clock in the morning and we're drinking the whole time. And then I'm going to go get horrible sleep. And then I'm going to wake up when the sun comes up at like 11 and I'm going to feel like right. shit. And because I do this so much, I get into a fight with someone who I care about and they're mad at me because my just tolerance for like normal emotional things is just very low because you're partying all the time. Oh, for sure. And, uh, and just that cascading after a while, you know, bad stuff can happen. Like it depends how far you really want to push that risk. But I was always pretty good at managing it. I think, um, you know, granted, probably somebody will watch this and tell me about some horrible thing I did when I was not good at managing it, which is fine. Well, we all have um, our you know, own we perspectives. All, we all make mistakes. Yeah, we all, make we mistakes. all, we all, yeah, we all do silly things from time to time. But, well, hopefully um, this puts it but, into perspective, right? I mean, you know, I, yeah. Are you able to kind of connect? Cause I'm, I'm hearing two like things that are interesting to me, right? Number one is, you know, you being on an elevated platform and uh, the, the ego being boosted, right. And then mixing that with partying. Yeah. Um, I mean, if, yeah. you're, if you're able to go deeper into that, like elevated platform, sure. like the best way I, word I can think of, and I don't believe this is you by any stretch of the imagination, but I, it sounds like kind of a good cultivate the elitist mentality almost. Um, yeah. And then mix that with partying. Like, are you able to dive a little deeper into that? Yeah, totally. I'm glad you asked. It's kind of like, I don't know, I've thought about this at like four o'clock in the morning whenever I finish a gig and I'm just kind of sitting there like eating a sandwich or something, right? And I'm like, okay, like when in human history have like people ever been put in front of other people like that and in such a visceral way where people are just reacting to you so immediately and with such emotional displays, you That's know, it's almost like you're like, some sort of like high priestess or something like, you know, doing magic or voodoo on people, or you're like a Roman politician and people are screaming whenever you do something. Right. And it's just, you know, a, a lot of people really thrive off of that feeling of attention and power and whatnot. And, and I, and sure. I kind of started to understand, I started to understand it. I mean, granted, I, I wasn't even like the world's biggest DJ, you know, I had a cool career and I had a good time. But there's people who like are constantly on festival stages, right? Right. And of you know maybe they just don't really want to talk about this, or maybe they're not cognizant of it. I'm not sure, but it's a uh, it can you know I I don't necessarily think that is a bad thing in and of itself, but I think that you know you combine that with drinking and then just the logistics and the hard shit that happens in life, you know, like you sure. have to like you know you finish a gig and your car is sitting there and you have to drive it home and it's like oh okay like. I'm not going to drive my car home. I'm just going to take an Uber. But then you're worried about your car being there overnight. And then the devil on your shoulder is like, oh, just drive it home. I'm not endorsing drunk driving at all, ever. But that's a regular like thing you have to deal with. And a sure. lot of DJs I know are like, yeah. They're like, yeah, fuck it. I live, I live five minutes away. I'm just going to drive home. And like bad shit can happen, right? And it does. You're, you're not necessarily – it happens all the time. And you're not thinking clearly whenever you're – you know pretty much constantly sleep deprived. Uh, if you're doing, doing the starving artist thing, you obviously can't afford very good food and you're probably busy. So you're probably not cooking very much for yourself. So you might even be a little bit malnourished. It all adds um, to it. right? If you're in, 
and if you're in such a if you're in such a shitty physical and mental state, then chances are you're not working out, you're not lifting, you're not doing cardio, you're not doing yoga, whatever it is, you kind of need to keep yourself in mind. A lot of people in the industry just don't do that stuff because it's it can be expensive and it takes time. Um, and then the the other thing too, and this is something I've talked a lot about uh, other DJs with, is that like you know, you kind of end up in like a social crowd of people who are just like club people. And that's not necessarily bad because I'm friends with a lot of club people. Don't get me wrong. Right. But, you know, you kind of, uh, in a way you kind of like, it's, you kind of cut yourself off from like the, from the real world in a sense. Like if you sleep till 3 PM every day, right. Just cause your sleep schedule's fucked. Cause you're used to staying up all night, every weekend. Right. Then like the only people you're going to hang out with are other people who work in the industry. So that's like bottle service girls, uh, other DJs, people who work in nightclubs. And then there can kind of be sort of a sketchy crowd that runs around with those types of people. Again, I'm friends with a lot of people in the industry and this is not a slight to them at all, but I think everybody acknowledges that like, you know, there's not, there's definitely a lot of unscrupulous people who kind of end up in your social circle sure. when you're in that scene all the time. And like, it's kind of sad too, cause you're not, you're not really getting exposed to a lot of other really great people. Like for example, like what I ever, you know, what I, was I going to like the library during that time? You know, and I'm not saying I go to the library all the time, but like, are you meeting, um, you're not meeting people who are doing different stuff, right? You're not meeting people who are into normal you things. Maybe you just want to hang out. Right. And maybe it would be good for you to like, just have like a normal conversation with someone that's not about like, you know, nightclubs or bottle service or who's playing where, you know, maybe you just want to talk about like a cool book you just read or something like that. Yeah. So it can, it can be, it turns into a bit of an insular community. You know, you hear about like, how to describe this. It's like, you know, there's particular ethnic groups in the United States, like who come from a certain country and they only hang out with other people in that group. Sure. Right. Yeah. I know or plenty of them. And it's just very, Right. Yeah. So that's kind of what being in the industry is a little bit like, like you're always friends with other people in the industry. And now do you think can, it's not, I'm not, yeah. Do you think that's it's necessary? Not toxic, but it can be. Oh, for, I, Hey, and to back it up, no matter what you're doing, like if you're around with people who drinking is your only means of connecting, if you're with someone who, yeah. you know, your only means is jujitsu, if you're with somebody and it's only music, like, I think that spreads right. across the board. What I, what I'm curious about, is, you know, you, you're kind of saying that you kind of got into this insulated community. Do you think that was yeah. necessary in order for you to grow to the, you know, level that you did? I do. I do think that that level of dedication is very important if this is really what you want to do. Um, I mean, yeah. Cause you know, like you're in a way like, and I'm just speaking about this bluntly, you know, um, and this, sure. I just think this is kind of how a lot of stuff works. Like when you're, when you have a certain set of objectives, you know, your social circle tends to complement those objectives, that North star you're going towards in life. Right. So That's if it's point. between like, Oh, can I, can I hang out with these people who I was friends with freshman year or like, Oh yeah. Hey, this dude's a club promoter. He's in town. Like I should become friends with him and you'll probably be friends anyway. Cause you can talk about music and drink and whatever. But at the same time, too, there's this element of like, okay, you know, this is my main thing I'm doing. And you know what, like, me and this guy are going to be friends, but we also might do some business together, too. So we really got to hang out, right? right. Um, and I think that's just kind of how the game is played. I mean, you know, you look at, for example, like, I've never actually had an office job, but I have some friends who work in finance in New York City. 
And they tell me that basically like that's the same thing with them. They're always hanging out with other people who are working at brokerages or people who are doing loans or whatever. I don't really understand how the finance industry works. I probably sound retarded <laughs> right now, but, um, but they're always dealing with other people in that business because they know that they can cut deals with each other. They can get intel on who's hiring or whatever. And yeah, that's, I think that's, that's fine, but it is kind of necessary. You know, if you really want to be an artist, you got to get in the artist community. So do you, you think know? there's like a level, like, cause like, where's the, right. I, I feel like life's about balance, but you know, maybe. Yeah. So like in my mind, right. You should be balanced. You should have a balanced mixture of friends, but <laughs> right. If you're trying to have, let's say, let's just blow it out of proportion. If you're trying to elevate yourself to the size of David Guetta, if you're trying to elevate yourself to the size of Aoki, maybe yeah. balance. And this is something I've thought about with people like Elon Musk. Like, I feel like he doesn't yeah. have a balanced life because he's doing such ridiculous shit. He sleeps in the fucking Tesla factory. You know, he yeah. wants to put humans on Mars. Like, right. I guess, I guess my thought process is, and this is what I'm trying to figure out is like, Maybe you right. have to sacrifice balance in order to get to that pinnacle of any industry. I mean, I don't, I guess I don't see that as being, I, I guess I'm interested on in your opinion as that. I personally hope that that's not the answer. <laughs> I hope there's a measure of balance that can go with it, but I don't know. Do you think that you can balance that if you were to go back and do it again? Um, I don't know. Cause I still deal with this problem now, like, like in, in, in a business, it's very unrelated to music. Um, it's tough to say, man, because yeah, I tend to think that like, okay, uncommon success requires, you know, an uncommon approach. Right. Sure. And I think with that, yeah, you know, you, you, you will be taking some things on the chin, you know, some things are going to be very much less than ideal. And I think that, yeah, the music industry is probably like that. Um, I tend to think it can be that way with most businesses, though. Even like I said, guys who work in New York City in finance, like that type of shit also requires a level of dedication that is realistically unhealthy, but they are getting what they want. They're getting that money. They're getting that status. They're working in New York. They have the fancy high rise apartment in Manhattan, which, you know, to be fair, like most of us would not do because it would be too expensive. For sure. That's what they want. So that's so that's why they do it. So. I mean, even now, like I, I have a hard time keeping everything balanced even now. I think it's a lot more balanced than it used to be and is definitely way healthier. Um, but even in terms of just like, you know, there's still times when I work like 70 hours a week right now in my current thing. And that's like, is that necessarily healthy? No. Is it necessary? And is it a means to an end? Yeah. Like this is, um, here's a point, here, here's a point for you, right? So like, let's say that you have a business and you're working on scaling it. In the end, you get something for that. You get money, right? And then you can turn that money into something else. You can invest it into all sorts of different asset classes, which will then pay you interest. You can take dividends from, or you can sell, which then you can use to retire, to not work at all, okay? That to me is very logical because you're building towards something that, cool, like let's say you're retired, you can have all the balance you want. You know, you can chill, you can whatever, dedicate yourself to being a professional professional athlete. So, but I do think there's some years of shit eating that typically takes place with most people who achieve that uncommon level of success. And, you know, in the music business, I think that a lot of people, like a lot, a lot of, a lot of folks in that industry, they don't as much care about money. They more care about like the status and the clout that they get as a result of being in the business. 
And you know, that clout does not last. It expires quickly and it does not pay dividends in the future. So that's, that was kind of my problem with it moving forward is I was meeting a lot of folks who weren't very business and financially minded about, all right, you know, how, how are we going to eat in 10 years? Right. Is this building towards something? And, and, and a lot of them just aren't thinking that they're just in the party having fun and God bless those people. If they're, if that's what they're doing, God bless them. I hope they're having an awesome time, but yeah, for myself, it was, it was more, yeah. Well, to each their own. You know what I mean? Oh, hundred percent. I, I went through this kind of in my own, in my own way, let's say in San Diego, it's like, I think, okay. Tell me how. I'm curious. Well, <laughs> I guess at a micro scale, let's say it's nothing compared to kind okay. of what you've gone through, but just even um, cultivating friend groups, putting things together. Um, but the crux of it, and here's where I'm drawing the parallel to your story, is that alcohol was kind of at sure. the root of it. And what I started to mm. realize was, is that I needed to step away, let's say, from the party scene, from um, you know, doing things like playing volleyball on the beach. Uh, we put together like every, every Saturday and Sunday we would, uh, it was called the honey hole. We still have the Instagram up. And I think my roommate probably still, uh, okay. my passion roommate in San Diego still like runs it. Um, it was our means to meet cool. people and you know, it's nothing crazy, but there's still a level of that, like, you know, let's say that clout that goes along with it. We're not making any money for it. It was just a fun thing to do. Right. And it was an ego booster at the end of the day, in my opinion. And if anyone's listening to this, that's part of the honey hole. I love you guys. (laughs) This is no way a shot at any of you. I totally like, I, I, I I helped create it. I mean, I love doing it. I love doing it, but of course what I'm trying to get to, I guess, is that I feel like alcohol, um, you know, it, it doesn't, allow that forward thinking. It doesn't allow you to think, well, and am I going to be doing this in 30 years? Well, you know, it's, it's fun to do. Don't get me wrong by any stretch of the imagination. I loved every minute of it, but I started realizing, you know, this is all that I'm doing. And it was like, well, I want to be able to travel to Brazil. I want to be able to, um, do these different things in life. I want to travel the world. I want to do that. Well, how do you do that? And at the bedrock of it is being financially sound. You know, and you can't, you can't, you almost can't think, I don't want to say it's impossible. I totally think it's possible. You get a nice paying job, you can save money. It's possible. But at some level, if you want to plan it, if you want to make it happen, and this is the parallels, the alcohol, I think alcohol can impede that. It can impede that forward thinking and it can almost inflate your ego to an extent, kind of like what you're saying with the, um, you know, with the, with the DJ scene and with producers and, Exactly. You know, there's, there's this author I really like called Ryan holiday. Um, he wrote this book. It's probably one of my favorite books, if not my favorite book called the obstacle is the way you've probably heard about this guy, but I've heard about the book. He basically, I read it. It's so fantastic. It's so, okay. so excellent. Um, but basically it, it describes like how you can mentally map any situation that you, you perceive to be as bad, right? You perceive like, Oh, this, you know, horrible thing happened to me. Oh, you know, this, this person died or, you know, I lost my job or I can't do this or I can't do that. Or I got deported from England, whatever. Um, you know, basically all that stuff, if you, if, if you allow it, like that will send you in the right direction. Right. Hmm. Like if, if you, if you are committed to like personal growth and really developing yourself, all of the bad things that happen in your life will turn out to be good things because they will put you on a path that you will ultimately be successful at. Right. Yeah. I truly, so I truly believe in that, that, you know, two things, number one, your, first of all, your perception makes reality. So whenever something occurs in your life, 
and this kind of ties into the idea that there's no such thing as good or bad. Um, I believe whenever something occurs, you can always look at the positive in it, no matter what. I, I truly believe, and I talked about this on one of my earlier podcasts, I, the most extreme example yeah, I can think of is like, you know, the 19th century wars that we went through, whether it was Hitler's Germany, Stalin's, uh, Stalin's oh, Russia, yeah. uh, Mao's China. I truly believe like that those needed to happen in order for us to realize, okay, if you go too far right, millions of people die. If you go too yeah. far left, millions of people die. You know, we're lucky we didn't get stuck in there, which, you know, arguably we still have in North Korea, but that's a whole nother right. M- maybe today's China, but it, we could leave that for the second. My point being, yeah, right. Is, um, let's bring this back that, uh, sure. no such thing as good or bad. The obstacles, the way, so I'm thinking about this on a micro scale and I haven't read the book, but being that you have read the book, let me know if this is kind of on yeah. track. I've noticed whenever I have conversations with people, you know, there'll be kind of these, like, we'll start getting to a deep point in the conversation, like something very, um, very truthful or like, I remember one time I was at a, for example, I was at, um, I was at a party. It was after, uh, like a festival in San Diego and me being a DJ, like we go to this house party. We're on the penthouse of a super, super nice. Uh, I forget the exact, um, the Allegra towers, I believe it was like, and we're in the penthouse of it and the guy's DJing and I'm like, I'm kind of sitting there vibing to it. And he, um, and this is after a whole day of fucking partying and festival. And so I'm fucking tired as is, Right. but he comes out, he, he stops DJing and like, I see him introducing himself to like everyone that kind of came in. I'm like, okay, this is the guy, like this has to be his spot. Right. And so I, like, I even said to him, I was like, Hey, um, what did I say to him? I was like, I was talking to him bullshit and like everything was flowing. I was like, oh yeah, dude, this is your spot. Like super sick. Da 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 da. Yeah, you were killing a DJ. And it came to the point of conversation and I was like, I was ready to say, uh, I was like, hey, I DJ. Um, I would love it if, and right when I say that, his phone sitting on the table starts vibrating and he's like getting a call from someone. He goes, oh shit, I need to get this. He takes the phone and starts okay. calling or talk, talking to someone. And I'm thinking to myself, shit, like <laughs> I was just about to ask. Uh- <laughs> Everything was going so well, blah, 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 blah. I then, um, my roommate and the girl he was talking to at the time, uh, they're yeah. like, Hey Clayton, we're leaving. Like, do you want to go? And I'm like, ah, shit. Like, <laughs> I like, this is the moment of truth. Like, do I stop and like kind of go? And I'm thinking to myself, like, you're tired, dude. Like it, excuses start flowing into the head. Right. Um, you're tired, dude. Like, you know, there's a reason that that phone called him. You're not supposed to DJ, blah, blah, blah. Like just go home with your roommate. Okay. Um, and so, uh, you know, a couple things happen later. Um, so as I'm leaving, well, I don't know if they're that important. The crux of it though, the obstacles, the way. Okay. It, right. My point is, is that I've had these conversations with people where we're about to get to something super deep in the conversation or like, like yeah. a deep internal truth or something. And then like yeah. something out of ordinary, a random phone call or somebody comes out of nowhere to interrupt the conversation, let's say. And you know, I've been thinking to myself, like, okay, do I just let it go? Or do I kind of like try to get back to where we were in that conversation? And what right. I've been trying to fi- figure out is I think I need to find a way to get back to that spot. Like I needed, you know, and <laughs> there's other things that happened in that story. For example, uh, 
I go down. Well, first of all, whenever I said goodbye, I was like, oh, dude, thanks for having us. Bye. And we were only there for like 30 minutes. And he's like, oh, shit, dude, like you're leaving already. He like took it super personally. And I was like, uh, shit, dude. Yeah. Like I gotta keep it like moving or something. And he like took it personally. Like he was like, yeah, he was like, he's like, all right, whatever, man. Like he was mad. And I was like, fuck, like maybe I should have (laughs) stayed. That's such a classical DJ thing. Like, Oh, you're already leaving my game. Yeah. See me play. (laughs) Oh, DJs do this shit all the time. That's so common. That's common. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't, I never wanted to be the guy who did that. Like I would see people who do, who would do that shit. I kind of get it too, because they'd be like, "Oh fuck, everyone's gonna leave. I'm gonna be DJing for nobody." But uh, that does happen. Okay, that makes okay, that makes a little <laughs> bit more sense now. I'm thinking back on it, but I, I want to get back that's to the probably why. Yeah, okay, <laughs> that makes sense. Well, we yeah. get down to the we get down to the lobby, and as we're going down the lobby, I'm talking to my roommate and the girl, and I'm like, I'm like, shit, like I fucked up, like I should have stayed, like I wanted to play, blah blah blah, and they're like, oh well, maybe like you shouldn't have played, like for some reason, like you're tired, and then all the excuses, they're like, you're tired, like this and that. I'm like, yeah, you're probably right. And we're standing at the, we're standing on the uh, sidewalk waiting for the Uber to come. And some different guy yeah. who actually, he was, I think also lived in the apartment comes down and he's just standing there. And we like notice him. I'm like, we're like, oh shit. Like you're the guy from blah, blah, blah. And he's like, yeah. He's like, I'm like, what are you doing? He's like, I'm waiting for someone. And I'm sitting there like thinking to myself, like, is this a sign I should go back up with him? <laughs> like, I'm thinking, okay. myself, uh, that's what I'm thinking to myself. I'm like, I don't know. But then the excuses start coming in. And so it, getting past that, I ended up not going upstairs. I ended up going home and just worrying okay. about like lamenting and having some regret about actually not doing it. So yeah. my, and I kind of want to throw this back to you because you read the book, the obstacle is the way. Sure. Is that at a micro level, maybe not even a micro, maybe it's a bigger than that, but at a micro level, those interruptions in the middle of um right when you're about to ask that thing that you've been trying to get djing in different areas or having a deep conversation yes. with somebody those little interruptions is the obstacles away so does that mean that you are supposed to pursue that conversation again kind of thing um like how does the book lay that out you know i don't necessarily i don't necessarily think that it takes something of like a, a fatalistic look at things right i don't necessarily think that the book puts forth the notion that like oh that that was all supposed to happen and it's 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 all good right it's more that like okay this is how things are but that's okay because they can still be better right it's almost um i think the book takes a lot of a lot of a lot of like uh inspiration from stoicism right okay. which i'm sure you're which i'm sure you're very familiar with familiar. but I don't, nec- I don't necessarily think that like the book is to be applied on like a day-to-day basis. Like, oh, you know, like I'm not going to take this call because the obstacle is the way, right? It's more like when you're retrospectively looking back at like your life and the challenges you faced and, you know, the bad things we've all gone through, right? Okay. And I think that, you know, this might just be my own interpretation of it too, but like, I really do think that like, you know, no matter what <laughs> happens, like if you have the right mindset about, uh, about about stuff, about how you're going to do things, right? You can twist something bad into something good, right? Sure. Like having one business, having one business business opportunity cut off hurts. That will fuck your income for a little while. It will, you know, put a lot of things in the back burner. You know, it might hurt you personally. Might you know make you feel like you're a little bit lower status. It you know makes you feel lower, right? But at the same time too, like that, you know, and this will sound a little bit cliche, but like that very same thing is an opportunity to say, okay, you know what? Maybe this business I'm in, isn't that great? 
maybe it kind of sucks in a way. Right. And maybe there's a world of other things out there that I should be exploring that I can look into. And I tend to, th I tend to apply, like think of it in terms of stuff like that, where it's like, okay, a simple example, like guy loses his job, right? But then guy realizes his job is shit. And he then goes and spends two years building a business, goes through some hard periods, learns all sorts of awesome stuff. And then in the end, comes out with a business, right? And then you can do, you can make so much impact whenever you actually have a thriving thing that exists within the economy, you know? And I guess that's something we can touch on later because that's something I'm doing now. But, you know, the point being is that like when you retrospectively look at stuff, if you're really committed to like making things better for yourself, the bad things will become good things because you will find ways around stuff. You will be like the snake in the game. And it's reminding little boxes and whatever. Yeah. It's reminding you know? me of your uh, your uh, starving artist years that you were talking about. Hundred percent, hundred percent. Yeah, man. Um, and like, you know, and this is just not necessarily to be like an anecdote about myself. I mean, I just I think that this is like universally ap universally applicable all over the place. I mean, oh, for sure. Again, I can't really. I can't cite too much science here because I don't really know the data offhand, but like, I think that humans perception of like what we really want or what we really like is very skewed by a lot of different stuff. And I, it's, it's fascinating to me that a lot of people won't really speak openly about what they really want in life. You know, they, they feel like they're, they can't say it or they're afraid or self-conscious or, or you know, maybe they're know. just very influenced. Right, right. Maybe they're very influenced by a very strong, charismatic individual who's trying to convince them otherwise or manipulate them. It's, it's, it's very interesting to me that a lot of people aren't really in touch with like where they want to go, and they don't have a, a north star they're they're going towards. You know, and I think that having that thing that orients you, that thing you're really pushing towards, right? I mean, and that becomes difficult, man, because that, it it sets up you for judgment. Like, and I think that's a yes. huge issue with it. It's like, oh, yeah. well, you know, it's like, you know, I want to live a life, a nomadic lifestyle, let's say, and I'm traveling from country to country, which I've been able to pull off. But yeah. the crux of it, the, the starting point of that is saying that you want that. Like, like, because if you, if you say that you want that now, there's an option for you to fail. Like maybe you won't get that. Maybe the opportunities won't align. Right. I mean, and this is oh, something yeah. I talk about in my first interview. It's like, I, you know, it, it started, it was probably in 2017 or 2018, maybe it was probably the beginning of 2018 yeah. where I went on a trip to right. um, Brazil. And it was like, I was like, shit, like I need to be able to wake up every single day and do this. Like this would be fucking sick. Like, and yeah, be able to live in, you know, Brazil and travel anywhere I want to travel whenever I want to travel. And, you know, sure. Number one, it takes me having that intuition or that insightful mindset yeah. of like, I want to do that. And then letting right. the chips fall where they may. And it took two, two and a half years in order for me to, it, first of all, this is my first podcast I'm recording in Brazil. So, you know, not shot on. Uh, congratulations, but yeah. congratulations, by the way, that's huge, yeah, man. Thanks, man. Like you took that step. Is, is that, isn't it your first day you're actually there? Uh, this is this, well, this is my first full day. Yeah. So this, um, that's excellent. Yeah. 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 And podcast. That's so podcast. cool. You're right. Dude, Congrats. Thank you. I'm I'm so I'm so ha I'm so happy to hear that. I'm really really glad you took that step. Um, it's really cool. Yeah, it's it's really great to see. Um, you know, obviously I have a lot of good things to say about living abroad, but that's really cool. You kind of came to that conclusion. Well, on your something own. I haven't told you, know, you chose to do that. Yeah, and something I haven't okay. told you is that I think I'm going to do here for six months, and then I think uh, the next stop's Ukraine. I think I might go to Ukraine for six okay. months. Oh, yeah. Oh boy. Near right. neighborhood. 
What do you, Cause you're in Georgia, right? All right. All right. Cool. Or you're keep bouncing. I, I am. I'm in, uh, I've been in Georgia for the past two years and okay. I'm pretty happy here. So I'll, I'll be here for a while, but yeah, man, I've spent a lot of time in Ukraine. I mean, I was, geez, I was there for two years. Um, I think I, I still, I still have like residence permit there. I guess I'm probably still on the books in that country. Okay. Um, I think, I think I still have a business set up there too, actually. Should I just tell I him I know? Yeah. Should I just be like, Oh, I know this Thomas kid. <laughs> <laughs> No, no, no! Don't, 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 don't be like, okay, get the fuck out of here. You're not, you ain't, you ain't, you ain't coming here. All right, that'll fuck it up. Okay, which which city are you going to in Ukraine? Well, the only one I know of is Kiev right now, so that would be okay. You know, my thought process, I, dude, this is, and we're also talking six months down the line. I, I, I want to be right. here for six months. I have ninety days, and then I need to do like yeah. an extension to get the one eighty days. Uh, cool, but that's just the thought. That's just my thought right now. I don't. We can see what happens right. in six months. Who knows? But um, that's a long way away. But I, I, I want to get to Ukraine. Yeah. If there's a different place yeah. I should check what, what, out, I'm down to here. Hear about it. Well, so I'm curious, like, what about what about Ukraine interests you specifically? Like, what like what about the country do you want to experience? Uh, I don't know. I well, cards on the table. Um, I when I was in San Diego, I just started meeting a bunch of Ukrainian girls. So quite frankly, oh, um, of course, that's what right. has inspired me to go to Ukraine. Um, sure. <laughs> if I'm being okay, cool. So I really have nothing outside yeah. of that scope. Um, okay, but okay, but maybe cool. that's a conversation when we talk about Ukraine. Maybe that's a little uh, off topic. Uh, but but you know, let's. We could get we can go down that rabbit hole and have a whole Ukrainian episode if we want. But I think we should. <laughs> oh, man. oh man i think we should wrap it yeah. back to something that's more applicable to everybody um but yeah sure but i think it's a great point right we're talking here right about me going to ukraine we we started off in pittsburgh pennsylvania right and life yeah. has been so crazy over the last 20 years that now it's possible that we could be meeting up in georgia or ukraine in the next six to 12 months you know um yes based off of this just where did it come from? Just because I want to do that. I want to be able to be in that place and yeah. do that. And what were we talking about? We were talking about how people don't set that North star. I like the North star analogy. It's right. like set that pinnacle of what you want to do. Um, but here's the, here's also a crazy thing that I kind of thought about too, right? It's like, number one, it's like, how is the universe going to give you what you want if you don't know what you want, right? You need to set out like, this is what I want. This is what I'm going to do. And it's going to deliver. Now, here's, here's where I'm kind of in like a tricky spot. It's like, I truly believe that the universe will give you what you need in order to get what you want. Now, the tricky thing is, is like, what if when you get what you want, <laughs> all right, let me slow down here a little. I, I, I see where you you're going. See where I'm going. This is going to tie into the whole DJ thing guy. is once you get what sure. you are wanting, if you start becoming this world renowned DJ, you're getting played by Steve yeah. Aoki, Benny Benassi. It's like, well, what if I didn't really want that at the end of the day? And it's like, that, right. that's where my mind is starting to get kind of like turned on its face. Like this, like, sure. Oh, fuck. I wanted this. <laughs> is this really what I wanted at the end of the day? Um, how do yeah, you relate to that? I mean, man, there's a few schools of thought you can you can employ with with a question like that because you know there's there's the there's the classic one of like oh I didn't know what this was actually all about you know and a lot of guys 
I've met a lot of guys who've joined the military and they thought that the military was going to be one way, but then they, it's just not sure. right at all. Um, a very good friend of mine joined, joined the military and had all these grandiose ideas of how it was going to be. And he realized he didn't like being in the military, not because he didn't like what he thought he liked. He, it's because he didn't like the reality of it. He didn't actually know what being in the military was like, you know, right. um, for myself, you know, I don't like having to live off of a very small amount of money every year. It's just very unappealing to me and causes me a lot of stress. And I don't think it's a great long-term strategy. So I don't necessarily love a artistic lifestyle that, that demands that. Um, but at the same time too, you know, there, there, you know, there's, there's another school of thought here, which I'm quite fond of too, is like, you know, you have to commit to things, right? right. Even when they're uncomfortable, even when they are hard, right? right. And this is one thing that, you know, maybe I could have taken my own advice on a little bit more, maybe not. I'm not sure. I still think about it to this day, but you know, for example, like, let's say you go in for a workout, right. And like, you're on, you know, you're, you're on your third set of squats and it's leg day and you did some cardio before and you are tired. Right. But you're going to finish it because you, that's what you came here to do, you know, and that's what, that's what this is. It does not matter how you feel about it in the time. And at the time you have to get it done. And I personally really gravitate towards that mentality of like, you know, you started this, you need to finish it. And that's probably why I, I went so long with so many things. And it explains a lot about the stuff I've done in the past, I think. But in, in any case, I just think that's that there, there is an element of like, okay, cool. We're, sw we're switching gears. We're cutting the angle. We're going to change this up now. But I think there's also a lot of wisdom and like, you know what? We're going to make this good. We're going to make this work. We're going to stick it out. There's, there's, there's truth in both of those things, but I think this is just kind of like the shades of gray and the nuance within life. Right. Cool. Well, Do you know what I mean? Yeah, no, a hundred percent. And I think at some level you need to combine those two things. And this is right. what I'm curious about then with your situation, right? And this might get us back to your story in a good way. Okay. You know, at cool. what point did you say to yourself, because you picked being a DJ and you started approaching that North star of the pinnacle. And at what point in your yeah. life did you kind of say to yourself, well, time to switch gears, time to, um, yeah. you know, start my business, have my business and invest more time into that right. than DJing. Because at some point that switch occurred, right? You can't. And it's a, it, let me step back to set it up a little bit more because you can't, yeah. At some point, you know, reality is going to kind of trump expectation, right? At some point, um, you know, you can't keep just pushing down, trying to force something to make it work. At some point, you're like, well, this isn't healthy for me. This isn't that. This isn't this. I'm not making money. I'm not healthy. I'm not happy. Like, is happiness, right. is happiness the line? Like, I, but I, I don't know. So in your eyes, at what, okay. what point in your story were you like, I need to slow up on music. I need to slow up on DJing and take it into business. Well, it was more just kind of about like getting down to the nitty gritty of what I actually wanted. You know what I mean? Whenever I was okay. younger, I, I thought I wanted to be a touring DJ, you know, basically living like my 2019 every single year of my life and doing that and making more money. And what I really wanted was a cool lifestyle that I thought was interesting and fun and I enjoyed and I was able to be social and meet people and make an impact. You know, that's really what I wanted is I wanted a lifestyle. Okay. And that sounds kind of bad whenever you say it like that, I think, but you know, the reality of it is that I, like, as I was doing the DJ thing, I found that I could have a really cool lifestyle doing other stuff, which is kind of where we get to the whole living in a developing country thing, right? that's really kind of replaced the other thing. I found that 
just by living in a lot of these like cool territories, for example, you know, you're in South America, I'm in Eastern Europe. The other place that a lot of guys go is Southeast Asia, right? So for people who are listening, who don't actually like know what that entails, basically like there's whole parts of the world, as many of you know, that are effectively living in what we would refer to as poverty, right? Most people are making like $300 a month or something like that. And the whole country is basically forced to live off of that. That makes it so that the prices of goods and services are extremely cheap. Yep. So if you're able to go there and make U.S. dollars and make a decent salary in U.S. dollars, then you're automatically in like the top 1% of society. Right. And then that allows you to have a really, really good time, right? And I'm not saying you need to be driving around in limos eating caviar, but it's just like, oh, cool. Like I can live here as long as I want and I don't have to worry about paying the bills. I have a year, multi, multi, multi year long runway where if I quit everything, I could keep my exact same apartment, buy the same groceries, all the stuff. So what I found was that like, I was able to kind of build my dream lifestyle just by being in a developing country and then working on other areas of my life too. You know, I had to replace different elements of like socializing and meeting people and whatnot with different areas or different things that I now do. But it really wasn't as much of a thing of, of where it was like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm done with this. I'm going to do this other thing. It was more that like, this other thing is better than this thing I'm doing. Yeah. Right. And then you're describing to, me to a T, man. To be, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You, you've dealt with the same thing, man. So, you know, there was that. And then there was also like with the business I'm in, I saw a really unique opportunity in the market and I just had to go for it. Right. I saw that nobody else was doing what I'm now doing with my team. No one else structuring it the way that I was. And I just, it was just like with DJing, wherever I kind of saw that electronic music was going to take off. I was like, oh shit, this thing is also a thing. Boom, I got to move in. Right. And I moved in straight away and it worked. So it was another one of those things where I saw another opportunity and another way of having that lifestyle that I wanted. And you know, I could get into what exactly that looks like and what that actually means. But yeah, I mean, I'm kind of curious to hear like, you know, so you're now living abroad did you do that because you're trying to build a certain lifestyle or, or what are your main, what was your main goal of like from moving from California to Brazil? Yeah. I mean, it's a good question. I mean, you know, what I've kind of been telling people and there's truth to it is uh, a surface level. I just tell people I want to become fluent in Portuguese. I want to um, train Brazilian Jiu Jitsu with the best in the world, or at least some of the best in the Sick. world. And uh, Sick. there was one more thing, work on my podcast. And okay, and what it, the real truth that kind of unpacks out of that is, I want to work on my podcast in order to create, you know, this passive income in my life. I want to be able to yeah. take a step back financially, right? I mean, not take a step back financially. Well, yeah, I mean, I don't really have. I mean, I have investments and stuff like that that are working in the background, but I don't really have a means of income. And so the way I see it is that if this podcast gets running, it becomes passive income. And so I figure if I give myself two years of runway, which I have, if I live in Brazil yep. and Ukraine, right? Because like you're saying, yep. the cost of living is so cheap. Um, it then enables me to put time and effort and I don't have to worry about it at all. I can always, I'm a software engineer, man. I have four yeah. years of experience. People blow me up every single day. I'm sure if I opened up my email, I'd have two I'm emails sure. of, Hey, we would love to get you in for an interview. You know, um, and you know, there's, that's a whole rabbit hole on its own, but at the core level, which I'm still open to doing if the right job opportunity comes up, but at a core level, I wanted to take the hit financially. Well, not, it's not even a hit really. I mean, I wanted to be living, let's say off of savings, not too worried about like where the next dollar is going to come from. 
and make this podcast. Right. And my core goal with this podcast is to help people. I mean, I feel like there's so much knowledge in each of these episodes where people could just run with. Yeah. I mean, even in this episode already, I've heard so much stuff that I'm just like, yes, more people need to like hear this and like think about it. So at the end of the day, I, truly, I just want to help people. But then at the end of the you know, once it comes, it comes to fruition, I'm going to need to start supplementing yeah. this podcast with, you know, promotions and, you know, ads and stuff. But, you know, it seems very doable to make it profitable. Yeah. Yeah. You know, an another, another thing that just came to mind whenever you were saying that is obviously, you know, in Ukraine, there is a huge development community right now. It's absolutely massive. Okay. And the, 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 the wages of Ukrainian developers have increased dramatically. I was actually just dealing with a guy the other day who runs, uh, who runs development teams there, right? He's basically his whole value add is he can get to get a group of developers together in Ukraine. Um, and then ultimately kind of sell their labor back to American companies and say, Hey, don't use this firm in San Diego. We'll do it for a third of the price. Right. And then obviously Okay. makes a margin on that. That might well, be, this is just a total, it's a total sidetrack, but that might be something for you to no, look but, into if you do have that background. Well, and here's what, <laughs> this is hilarious that you're bringing this up because what I, um, what I did, I was a CTO of a startup for a little bit. Didn't work out uh, long story okay, short, right. but, but a core thing right. that I did was, is, uh, I, we hired people from, um, was it, I don't know, Middle Eastern country, India. Um, and, uh, there's a level of meaning to take the CEO's ideas, which are these, you know, very niche market ideas, and then tell a software developer how those should be implemented, what it should look like, what should these classes look like, how should these get implemented. And what it sounds like you're saying is that that's what you can do in Ukraine very easily, or at least there's that ability for that to happen. One hundred percent. And the thing is, you know, because you've dealt with uh I've dealt with people from all over the world. I mean, I currently have a team. It's about 47 people, right? And I'm pretty much someone on every continent is working for me right now. Nice. Okay? But congrats, by the way. That's I've huge. dealt with. Yeah, thank you, thank you. Um, I don't, I'm not trying to flex by saying that. I'm just trying to say that. Yeah. Like, I've kind of I've dealt with like people in the Middle East and also people in Slavic countries as well. Slavic countries being Eastern Europe and. At the moment, uh, my project manager is uh, from Serbia, and she makes pretty good money for me, um, much better than in her native country, obviously. So the thing with her, though, is that like it's it's generally within like um, Eastern European workers are known for being very resourceful and being very imaginative and kind of being able to take an idea and then run with it and come up with their own conclusions about how things should go. Okay. Whereas my experience, at least with like outsourcing to Asia and then to, to the Middle East is like culturally, I think a lot of people there tend to do better with very defined directions as here is exactly what we're going to do. Right. Gotcha. So trying to explain something to like, you know, a CEO's vision to an Indian developer, I think would be a little bit more challenging than trying to explain it to somebody in Ukraine, because there's a lot more cultural similarities between Ukraine and the United States. And I just think it's within their culture to say, oh, okay, that idea is cool. Yeah. So like you're saying we should do this and that and this other thing. And you're like, whoa, yeah. Versus like sending it to the Philippines or something like that. They'll be like, oh, okay, cool. This is how I'm going to do it. Read straight down the list. Done. You know? Gotcha. So I'm just saying that I think that's a really unique value add. You have that experience and you're going to be in Eastern Europe. You could make a lot of money and have a really good business with that. I think like what? a really good one. And so and here's the crazy thing. And I want to get down to the meta, the meta of all of this, okay. right? Is sure. I love this. First of all, I love this because, you know, it's 
you know, when I quit my job, it's like, well, you know, so many negative thoughts and not negative either, but just worries and fears. Like, how are you going to make money? How are you going to do this? Mm -hmm. What are you going to do with that? I was like, I'm going to work on my podcast. Right. That was like, I was like, I don't care. Yeah. I'm good for, I'm good for like two, at least like if we're talking about all my investments, I'm good for far longer than two years. Let's say if I'm talking right. all my investments and what I was like, I was like, I'm just gonna go work my podcast. And here it is in the middle of my podcast recording it where it's like, <laughs> Hey bro, I got you. I know exactly your value add. I know where you're going to be able to do it in Ukraine. You're talking about going there. It's the place you got to do it. It's like, dude, maybe I'll, at the end of these two months, I'll hop on a plane and just go to Ukraine to get the money rolling. But I, it, I just think that's maybe, I just think it's crazy. And I, I mean, that's definitely something I'm going to poke you about in the future. Hundred percent, hundred percent. Yeah, outsourcing is a really, really good business to be in because um, it's 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 a it's a scenario where kind of everybody wins, right? Mm -hmm. You know, you're giving work to people who are living in developing countries who are usually very talented, and you're saving you're saving money, you know, for a Western client, and you get to put yourself in the middle of it and say, hey, I'm going to get paid for finding these people. You know, right. I'm going to get a percentage for this, right? Right. It's a it's one of those rare situations where everybody gets to win and. It's because there's just such a differential in terms of like actual wealth in these countries. And I think that's, to me, that's one of the biggest things that like people of our generation need to be taking advantage of is living and then having work done in these developing countries. Cause there won't, it won't be that way forever. You know, yeah. these places are going to catch up and their event they're I don't know that they're going to be on the United States level, but like a lot of these developing countries are going to be developed within 20 years and this opportunity will be gone and everybody's going to be making very similar wages yeah. but for now you know we get to cash in on the fact that we have the internet we have globalization but we still have fragments of an unconnected society right and just kind of fitting yourself between that there's so much money to be made so much opportunity so much just even just having fun in these places, just living there and getting to experience the culture, man. It's such a good deal. You're getting me like, amped. I like want to get to Ukraine already. <laughs> I want to get a Ukraine and start well, this already. Well, <laughs> I mean, maybe, you know, hey, maybe find some developers in Brazil, get get some company letterhead up. That's I don't know. Point. I mean, I'm just, I'm just you know, just kind of get, get it, get it rolling. Maybe do some research on like the, cause I don't know shit about fucking development. Yeah. Um, I do not have that type of business at all. Um, but all, all I'm saying is that like, you know, and then you might find yourself in a situation where like you have a big team and like you're making way more than you ever could have when someone was paying you to work for them. Right. You know, because you can't. And I kinda, yeah. And really. Go ahead. Yeah. You can't you can't scale your one income. You know, you have That's to scale off the yeah. labor of other people. So, yeah, man. I mean, I, I just think like if you have if you have a developer background and you're in these places man there's so much opportunity because i'm not a developer i don't know shit about yeah, that that's a, yeah, that's a great point and, and i i see i see a lot of it there's a lot there's a lot of opportunity out there for that seriously yeah, maybe i just start putting together like a side hustle of uh developers in brazil and then expand it out to ukraine when i move out there damn just yeah just find find competitors you know find people who are working in that same niche because there's de there's companies out there like for example a lot sure. of software development companies have an office in kiev right but okay. they also have an office in san diego and they they've actually spent time setting up a whole office there right whereas like you could like feed off of people who are like oh cool you guys don't even realize this work can be done over here for half the price yeah you even know you can do that because most americans have no fucking clue about this they do not know right well, yeah and they're not going to go to ukraine and do it you're the man on the ground right, right right that's a great fucking point dude yeah wow now i have something to 
add to my list of things to do. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, enjoy enjoy your enjoy your time. Yeah. You know, go go drink in the daytime and be on the beach and shit like that. But all I'm saying is like you know you're you're in a good you're in a good place. No, I love starting it. Something. I, oh yeah, I love yeah. I love that idea. I love those thoughts. I love uh, having those types of conversations, man. That's awesome. Oh yeah, that's oh, awesome. Yeah. Maybe that's a maybe, yeah. Th- where are we at? I mean, we got through pretty much our our twenty year uh, our twenty year thing, dude. I think this is like I was down to take this as long as possible, cool. but I think this is like a great plot to end it on. Um, yeah, absolutely. I I mean, before I kind of give the final remarks, dude. First of all, I really appreciate you coming on. I I love hearing. Of I love your story, dude. I love hearing all about it. There's so Thank many you. just like truths in it. There's so much just. progression things you're moving through like i I think there's so much wisdom in it that can help other people um is there any closing remarks before you want to give before i kind of go out any shout outs any um things to think about um yeah yeah tough to say you know i haven't i haven't had i haven't had to give shout outs in quite a while um (laughs) well if anything i just want to i want to thank you for actually giving me the opportunity to come on here you know it's been a long time since i've actually done like a long form sit down interview like this it's really just been like a few years honestly so it was very fun to get those juices flowing again um and yeah if anything man i just really want to congratulate you you know this is one thing that you know you just moved abroad you know i moved abroad like four or five years ago and it really was one of the best things I did personally. And I just really think that there's a lot of opportunity out here that no one is cashing in on. And I've just managed to find a little sliver of it and cut myself out a little stream there. So I'm very excited to see what you're going to do with it. And I think that, you know, for someone who's like very talented and like, you know, good at speaking with people and like yourself, you're going to do great. So if anything, I am excited, I'm excited for you. And I want you to keep me posted on like every, every, Every move you're making out here, maybe you'll find some new shit too that like I might want to cash in on. Also, you know, I've never yeah. been to Brazil, so who knows? dude, come visit, man. I got a I got a spot you can crash in the living room, dude. It's a nice little, nice little bed. I mean, it's not the biggest thing in the world, but dude, I got a spot for you. You come, you want to expand your business out in Brazil or something? We can, you know, get the juices flowing out here. More than welcome. Just Damn. put it out there. More than welcome. You find yourself. I am down. And mutually too, whenever you come over to Eastern Europe, there are uh, very easy flights from pretty much anywhere to where I'm at right now. So yeah, it's like a hundred bucks to get here. And again, I've got a nice couch. You're welcome to stay on. I saw it was only like 600 bucks to fly from uh, Sao Paulo or even my current in Porto Alegre to Kiev was like 600 bucks. I was like, holy shit. Like, really? Yeah. I was like, that's really far. Yeah. $600. Dude. And then there's, dude. And then there's some flights to like North South America for like 1300. I don't, I don't know how the hell, yeah. <laughs> dude, it's crazy. I don't know how the hell they price these things, but there's some flights that are just godly ridiculous. And then some you're like, how is it that cheap? Yeah. I, I, I don't understand the economics of airlines, but I don't fucking think that anybody does. And it's, it's, it sounds like hell having to do all that math yeah. and look at their balance sheet. So I'm just, I'm just going to write it off to magic for now. Uh, yeah. <laughs> don't just worry about things in your circle, right? <laughs> don't worry about all these other things. Exit. Exactly. Like business in Brazil and Ukraine. That that is something I want to worry about. Okay. Yeah, that's that's what I'm worrying about too. So uh <laughs> we'll have to talk about that. But you know, to wrap up, Tommy, dude, I appreciate you. Thank you. Um anybody who's listening, Absolutely. I highly recommend his music, especially if you're in the EDM scene already. Something that little flavor to add to your uh thing. I'm trying to remember the song that I always I love listening. I I play it almost not every set, I'll be honest, but every now and then it's uh 
the the remix you did with Eric Sharp of Eric Sharp. It was something three, oh, I think. Cool. I was like the River Three version three. Version three. Version three. Yes, love that song. Yeah. So many cool three. like little elements Thank in you. it with like uh, it sounds like you're in a jungle. I think almost is like the vibe I get from it. Um, not sure you're Thank going you. with it. Thank but you. Maybe we'll say that for the next time. Uh, Thomas Tanova Harisic comes on the uh, podcast. Um, but dude, I appreciate you. Thank you everyone listening. I hope you got something from it because I know I did. (laughs) If you cannot tell by the end here, I know (laughs) I learned something and, uh, stuff to move forward. Um, you know, Tommy was a pleasure, dude. Uh, first 20 years were dope. And I think the next 20 might be even more dope, uh, based on this conversation. So, um, let's, let's do it up. Let's do it, bro. Uh, so guys, thank you. Thanks again. If, Something we said here pisses you off. Remember to meditate on it. And then you're free to slide in my DMs. I love talking about this stuff. (laughs) Um, Other than that, uh, thank you. And let's grow together.